Hey, welcome to the 266th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I sometimes talk about movies, sometimes I talk about comics, and sometimes, like last week, I did an off-my-mind topic, just uh, just digging deep into a certain topic in the world of comics. I talk about comic continuity. Is it important? Should we have it? Should we not have it? So you can hear about that and other things. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash G-Man from Heck. Okay, what is happening this week? It's another full week. There's just like so much. I mean, it's great. I, I remember there's like times where I'm like, man, there's like nothing going on. You know, there's there's no new movies. There's no shows. Now there's like so much. It turns out I still haven't watched. I'm like, I'm two weeks behind on Lord of the Rings now. And I hate to say it. I'm like, I'm not really missing it. I am. I, I do plan on going back at some point. But my goal was maybe I'll be a week behind. I, I think I'm just dropping it. I think I'm just calling cold turkey. I don't know. And just being on social media, because I usually like on Facebook, every time I open Facebook, someone's like talking about She-Hulk or or like what, uh, Cobra Kai or, you know, they're always, there's like conversations going on about, you know, House of Dragon. I don't see anyone really talking about Lord of the Rings. I mean, maybe I'm not looking the right place. I just don't know what the general consensus is. I want it to be successful. I want Amazon to keep doing original programming, and I don't want like if the show is not successful, mean that you know they're going to cut back on on cool shows or just you know giving budgets to you know actual budgets to whatever other shows. So I I hope it's doing well, but yeah. Anyways, I already addressed my issues with it last week, so at some point I'll I'll, I'll return to it, but not this week and probably not not ever. I don't know. It's, I was just never been a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I'm sorry. I mean, that's, that's just me. But uh, the movie feature will be Smile. I wasn't sure if, if it was going to be playing in my theater. and Because uh, then, then I noticed, like, oh, it is playing. There's no Thursday night screening. And, you know, the Thursday night shows are crucial for me. And it's so convenient. It, it's so helpful. And then, like, a couple days before, it just like it popped up. It was weird that they had weekend show times, but not Thursday night. And they also had like a couple other movies, like screen preview screenings on Thursday. So that was kind of weird. So I'll talk about that. Uh, I'm also going to talk about the David Bowie documentary, Moonage Daydream, that I saw a weekend last, not this past weekend, a weekend before. And I'm just going to say, oh my gosh, it was so friggin' amazing. I, I, I still can't get over it. So I'm just going to talk very briefly about that. <laughs> Since I've been talking about it in the news, I'm going to talk about the Monsters movie. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. And then um, I still didn't finish Cobra Kai. I planned on doing four episodes this week. But four episodes is a lot to cover. Especially when I can't just... I, I feel like I need to cover every beat of the show. Or like what people are saying. Which I know it's just be like, yeah, these two people fought. And this happened and that's it. But I feel like it deserves more. So I just did two. And, and that way, I feel like it's good to spread it out. Because... If I talked about it all in the first week or second week, 
then we'd forget about it. So I'm keeping it going, right? Maybe, I don't know. So, um, you know, the other shows and, and, and as well. So let's just jump into the news because there is a, a good amount of news, it, it looks like, just kind of going all over. Kind of big, weird, strange news. Marvel Armor Wars, uh, I think I think it was San Diego where it wasn't mentioned. And some people were like, wait, how come is Armor Wars been canceled? How come it wasn't mentioned at the panels or anything? It's uh, it's not happening uh, on Disney Plus anymore. There's not going to be an Armor Wars show. Instead, there's going to be an Armor Wars movie. So this is Don Cheadle, you know, roadie, war machine. This is great. It's cool. I'm, I am a little concerned. I am a big fan of, of the shows because I think even if you have like a six episode show, you potentially have like a close, a near six hour show where you can tell a lot of, lot of story. Where if you have a movie, you got like a two, what, two hour, 15 minutes, maybe tops, you know, maybe, yeah, I don't know, they, they can go longer, but they, they're not going to usually creep past two and a half hours. So you're trying to tell this Armor War story in just over two hours versus six hours or eight hours or 10 hours. I mean, unless they're going to do Armor Wars 1 and Armor Wars 2, but that then then you have to wait like two years, three years. I doubt it'd be less than one, you know, or I don't doubt it'd be a year apart. So hopefully there'll be enough. I don't know. Maybe they're like, oh, there's not that much to tell because, you know, we don't have Tony Stark. So, you know, we're just going to have a roadie and, you know, probably Riri Williams, you know, Ironheart, and you know, who knows who else they can bring in here. So uh, hopefully that, that'll that'll be good. Oh, other big news. So Ryan Reynolds uh, posted a video, basically saying, uh, "Yeah, Deadpool three got nothing, no ideas, not sure what to really do." And then you see Hugh Jackman walking by. He's like, "Hey Hugh, you gonna be in dead, the next Deadpool movie?" He's like, "Sure, Ryan." And then they released another video later, just you know, them talking and stuff like that. So I guess he's Wolverine's coming back. And I know a lot of people are flipping out. They're like, oh, you know, old man Logan, or Logan, that was supposed to be his last thing. That was his good- goodbye. And now it's, it's it taking away from the impact of that movie and blah, 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 stuff like that. It's like, no, it's not. James Mangold, the director of Logan, he fully endorses Hugh Jackman, you know, his return. And, you know, like they, what they said in Ryan and Hugh said in the video that, you know, Logan took place in 2029, which doesn't seem right. It seems like it should be further. But basically, it's it's kind of in the future, and this could be before that. This could be multi. I mean, we got the friggin' multiverse, so it's like it does not matter <laughs> that what what happened in the Fox movies. You know. So I I think it's great because just with the the relationship that that these two have, the the quote unquote rivalry that they have on social media, which it's not true. I I think. It'll be great, and you know who doesn't want to see Wolverine and Deadpool together? You know, it's it's like we've been itching for this with the the references that Ryan that Deadpool has made, uh, you know, for Hugh Jackman and all that. So hopefully it'll, it'll be a lot of fun, and I'm I'm definitely down for that. So we'll see. Anthony Mackie doesn't know if Captain America, his Captain America, is going to be in Thunderbolts. He he said, quote, I have no idea. You know how it works. They call you the week before and are like, we own your ass. Come get in the movie. So, because a lot of time now, it's almost like, or like, yeah, I don't know. And then they are, and you're like, come on, you're lying. But, you know, maybe this is how it is. And especially when, when you know, Anthony Mackie has been, he's done, he's done a couple of Marvel movies. He, he knows the deal. And it's not like, 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle his, his craft, but he knows a character. So it's not like he has to do a lot of preparation. Like, okay, how am I going to play it? What am I going to, he knows who he is, you know? So they can just, they, yeah, they have to learn the script and stuff like that, but I'm sure that's not a problem either because they're professionals. So that'll be cool. Uh, Captain America, new world order comes out on May 3rd, 2024. Thunderbolts is July 26, 2024. So we'll have to see if, if, if he's going to appear in it. I mean, that'd be cool. I mean, and we have Bucky Barnes and Thunderbolts, so I don't know. It would make sense. Remember this guy, uh, Finn Jones? He he played this character Iron Fist in, in the Netflix movies. Well, I guess he's been saying, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to return as Iron Fist. You know, he's basically saying that, you know, doing a Heroes for Hire movie would, would be cool and, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff like that. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know a lot of people did not like Finn as as Iron Fist. I didn't mind them so much. Yeah, it, there was definite definite issues and concerns. I and I enjoyed the second season, and I'm so bummed that we had this like weird cliffhanger ending. You know, there's a couple things, and we never got any closure on that. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I I really like the character, so I would almost be like forgiving if it would mean mean that we'd get to see more, but. You know, now everything is just, you know, rebooted. And, and so who, who knows? Same thing with uh, Deborah Ann Wall. She says that, you know, she would love to be in the Daredevil Born Again. You know, she, she's hopeful. She's like, they got my number. You know, she just really enjoyed playing the character and, you know, just loved that role. So she would, you know, be more than happy to, to come back. But, well, you know, she hasn't heard anything. So hopefully things will work out. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, Kevin Feige commented about Werewolf by Night, that that's going to have a huge impact in the MCU's future, which seems kind of crazy because, you know, just the, the trailer for Werewolf by Night, it's like, you know, this black and white thing is like, is this going to be like some whatever, not, not necessarily gimmick, but just like this weird side thing and, you know, its own little corner. But I guess he's, it's, he's saying that we're going to start to see, like, explore this, like, dark, like, sort of monsterish version of the Marvel Universe, which is something that we don't really see. So that makes sense. I, I'm, I'm down with that. that. That'll be cool. Elizabeth, this is, like, all the Marvel news. <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen, she, obviously, she, you know, she wants Wanda to get redeemed. You know, she would love to see that, to, you know, have the character explored more and everything. Um yeah, hopefully, when are we going to see her again? I don't know. And I want to know where the heck is Vision, you know, where he took off. Where is he at? And I, I don't know if anyone knows. Uh, Blade. So I'm not really sure what's going on here. Blade, the Blade director, Bassam Tariq, he has stepped down as director. And I, I guess they're saying it's shift in, in the production schedule. So maybe it made it where he is not available. You know, maybe he has some other commitment, some other project lined up that he can't back out of or whatever i don't know but he's still gonna remain as a executive producer so it's not like they're making up well i mean who knows but yeah he's still gonna be involved since you know they haven't started production yet they're probably doing like some sort of pre-production i don't even know but that that's good that he's still gonna be involved you know because he if he puts some work into it you know let, let's honor that and you know he probably has has something to say about it so that is november 3rd 2023 so that'll be next year I think, I think that's it for the Marvel news. There was some stuff about Planet of the Apes. I think they, uh, what would they, they announced 
the title or did i don't have i didn't click on that i, I don't know but there's there's planet more planet apes coming i'm i think part of it is i'm i'm kind of scared and reluctant like where is it gonna go because you gotta start over it's with the way the last one ended doesn't really make i mean they could but i, I don't know um so <laughs> i don't know about this news colin trevorrow I guess is open to do more Jurassic Park movies. He's like, there's more stories to tell and this and that. And uh, does anyone want more Jurassic Park? I, I I know some people love it. I just wasn't super crazy about the last few movies. And I, I, I'm fine. I, I, I don't know. I think part of it is because there's like, you know, the gap between three and then Jurassic World. And then, then it felt like we're just getting so much Jurassic World and just with the cloning and just, I don't know, it almost feels like like too much. But what do I know? Netflix, this is bummer news, they're, they canceled Grendel. So Grendel, Grendel's always an interesting character. And, and I always uh, think back to when I was in high school, one of my friends was like really into Grendel. And that's how I got into Grendel. And, you know, I don't think he was, his name was Kane. <laughs> And I, I, was, I think about Kane. I wonder how he's doing. And he wasn't like super into comics, I don't think. But he he loved Grendel. Grendel was his jam, like 110%. That's how I got into Grendel. And then when there was going to be a show, I was like, ah, oh, this is awesome. This is this is great. And the other thing is, is you know, the lead actor is, is an Arab. So this is like the first Arab actor, you know, project with the lead Arab. So this is great because... If you look at like the, I, I was I forget what what they're saying in this one article I read. It's like the population of the world and the population of representation in, in like movies and TV. It's like not even close. It's like one may not even one percent or something like that. And there's a lot of stereotypes, you know. Whenever an Arab is 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 cast, you know the type of characters they play. And with Hunter Hunter Rose, no Rose. I don't know. I always want to say Rose Hunter 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 Rose Hunter Rose, not Rose Hunter. I was hoping that we see it, but the weird thing is, I guess they had filmed most of the first season, so that's why there's some confusion. Like, wait, why? Why is Netflix canceling this? And I guess that it, there's a potential of shopping it elsewhere, so someone else could pick up on it. That's going to be the weird thing is, you know, you're going to want the same production people because I I feel like if s- certain stuff was was filmed, someone else coming come in coming in might not want to to work on that and what i'll attribute it to the where i'm getting this opinion from is when i was at the comic vine GameSpot or some whatever days i don't remember what, what which transition it was but i had someone that had filmed one of my it might have been like a three minute expert something like that someone else had filmed it and kind of like said it like we had this kind of direction and then I don't know if they were freelance, if they left or something happened, but it never got finished. And then the next person coming in, I was like, hey, can you edit this or, you know, put some magic into it? And and there was a little bit of like, okay, uh, yeah, but, you know, because they hadn't filmed it. It wasn't their work. So it's like you're taking someone else's and then editing it. And it might have just been where it's like, I don't want to take full credit for this because I didn't do all that work. Or it could also be like, this someone else filmed it differently and that's not necessarily what I would have done. And then for me to try to edit that might be a little, little tough, but you know, being professional or thing, you know, the video came out really cool. I just wish I remember what it, what it was, 
But I could see if, if that's the thing where if you know you filmed a chunk of the show and then you're gonna have to bring in new people to, to come in and finish filming and editing and then it's like oh look at the lighting in the scene I would not have done that that is such a you know so I don't know it'll be weird but hopefully hopefully we'll see it because I, I think that could be really cool and just just to introduce something else you know because everything is Marvel and DC so we need other other properties to, to get the, the spotlight. Part of the, I don't know if this is part of the problem, but I guess the showrunner is the same showrunner that did Resident Evil. Is that true? And is that the case that you know, Resident Evil got canceled and like maybe Netflix has lost a bunch of subscribers, so they're being more cautious? I don't, I don't know, but but that's that's a bummer. Speaking of cautious, maybe not necessarily, but Paramount has removed the next Star Trek movie from their schedule. And maybe it's a temporary move. You know, they they lost a director, so maybe they're like, "Well, we got to find a director first, and then we have to figure out what where we're going." I, I don't know. So we'll have to stay tuned for that. Uh, Blue Beetle. So remember, they're, they're making this Blue Beetle movie with a uh, Miguel from Cobra Kai. Do you think that's still going to happen with all the the craziness at Warner Brothers Discovery? Angel Manuel Soto, the director. He says Warner Brother Discovery fully supports the movie, and he's like, "Yeah, I I was a little nervous when you know I heard all the stuff going down, but it's still happening so far. So so that's that's great. <laughs> I I'm, really want to see that. Lisa Kudrow is going to be in Taika Waititi's Time Bandits on Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus is is getting." They got a lot of good shows, and I, I feel like a lot of people miss out on, on some cool stuff. So you, it's definitely worth. Have I ever mentioned a show called Severance? You should probably check that out if you haven't. If you haven't, you're, you're crazy. Um, speaking of Apple TV Plus, Dark Matter. So I, I've been talking about this dark. I've not. I've been talking. I've mentioned this Dark Matter show. It's uh, based off a book by Blake Crouch. What's his name? Joel Edgerton, who who plays uh, Owen, Uncle Owen in Star Wars and Obi Wan. He's the main character, and then maybe a month ago, a little bit ago, it was announced Jennifer Connelly's is going to be in there. She's playing his character's wife, and there's like multiverse stuff, and you know, it's it's I I can't describe it properly without giving too much away. If you look up the book, you can probably see a synopsis, but. Um, they added a couple of characters or a couple actors. Jimmy Simpson, super cool and nice guy. I'm so glad I, I got a chance to talk to him at, at Comic-Con. Jimmy Simpson, you may know from Westworld, Man Who Fell to Earth. Uh, he was the voice of Green Arrow in the Jon Stewart Green Lantern movie. He, I think he was in Psych. Um, and so he's going to be in there. He's playing, if you've read the book, he's, he's playing the main character's like, f- friend. I don't feel like he had like a huge role in the book from what I remember. So I'm, I'm, I was like, oh man, I want him to have a bigger role. But uh, hopefully it'll be enough. And then Alice Braga, she's playing the psychiatrist. I feel like that's a decent role from, from the book. So it's it's if you want to get ahead of the game, you know, read Dark Matter. The book is on Audible also. That's that's how I listen to it. And Blake Crouch, he's the guy that wrote the Wayward Pines books, the trilogy. I I enjoyed the show. The books were w- way different and better. And speaking of Blake Crouch, I just finished tangent. I just finished this a book called Run, 
which is interest is an interesting premise. So basically, and it just kind of throws you into the the, the action. This family that's such a tangent. This is nothing to do with news, but this family starts packing they're getting ready to leave and stuff like that something happened and a chunk of the population has turned savage and they're just like not so savage like cruel like murderous so this family is you know it's a husband wife and her two kids and they're just trying to survive and there's all these people and they start forming these convoys and just just murdering burning towns and and just going crazy the problem i had with this audiobook Oh my God. And I I try not to say, oh my God. I try to say, oh my gosh, for whatever silly reason. But oh my God, the kids in this book, holy, oh, they're so amazingly annoying. Oh my God. There's like so many times, like something coming, they're like, or, or okay, there's one scene, spoiler. <laughs> not really. they're, they're about to drive through this town dead bodies all over the streets and the, the, the dad's driving he's like okay kids look, look turn look out don't look out the windows why i because just don't look down what what, what are there dead people yes you don't want to see that why can't i see this it's like shut up listen to what you're saying and there's other times where people are coming with guns get down why because you're about to die I'm sorry, I don't mean to yell. Oh my, I was getting so friggin' angry at these kids. And sometimes the the wife's like, uh, I, I don't, I, I just finished the book yesterday. I I can't remember the dude's name, but she's like, what are we gonna do? We're almost out of gas. We have no food. What? And he's like, how the heck is he supposed to know? Oh my gosh, but it was an interesting book. And it's like, why did this happen? And then there's some other, yeah. So. <laughs> I'm waiting for this to be adapted, and then we can revisit this. This run. so stay tuned. Remember, 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 mark this down. Episode two sixty six. Blake Crouch run. Uh, Tony kind of loses it a little bit. And then uh, Last of Us. There was a teaser trailer, and I did not watch it. Partly because I've never played the game, I which I hate to admit, but I am not going to lie and say, "Oh yeah, Last of Us is awesome. I'm cool because I played this popular game that everyone loves." I wish I did. I wish I, I, I not. I don't wish I said that. I wish I played the game, and I've always wanted to. But just it's a matter of friggin' time. I still haven't finished PlayStation Four Spider Man. I haven't fired that thing up in what? It's been two years, three years. Jesus. <laughs> I just, anyways, so Last of Us. The trailer came out. I, I'm I'm deeply curious. I maybe I I shouldn't even say that. It's like maybe someday I'll play the game. Yeah. Right. But I didn't want to watch the trailer because I haven't seen the game. So it's like, I don't really want to spoil anything. I'm going to watch the show just because I'm sure it's going to be cool. But if you saw it, let me know. How, how, was, how was the trailer? And the last bit of news, James Earl Jones. Don't worry. But he has retired from voicing Darth Vader. So it's just like, oh man, it's like, how, what are we gonna get someone else playing Darth Vader? There has been, I'm, I'm, nine, I'm pretty sure, I would say like 99, 98% positive that there has been some other voices of Darth Vader. Someone else has done it and has done a decent job, I think. But apparently, with Obi Wan, James Earl Jones didn't even like step in a recording studio. There is this Ukrainian-based company called Respeaker where they use this like AI that kind of copies the voice and the inflections and the tones and reproduces the speech. I guess they, they also use this technology on Mark Hamill to 
like lower like de-age his voice or something like that so he's given his blessing he's like yep go ahead you can use my voice so it sounds like we'll keep having darth vader you know whenever he pops up you know that they'll be able to do that so that that's cool i just hope that means that you know he worked out a nice sweet deal that anytime they use him his he or his family will get paid and he doesn't have to do anything. I think that's awesome because he he deserves it. if if they can. Uh, it's kind of crazy, I guess. It's kind of dangerous, but the fact that you know he's still you know getting paid that that's the important thing. That not it's not like that he's going to be used. So so that's good. Oh, um, actually, actually, last bit of news: Doug Bradley, which apparently some people don't know who he is. It's like shame on you, Doug Bradley. The amazing Doug Bradley, who portrayed Pinhead in various Hellraiser movies, good and bad Hellraiser movies, he commented on Jamie Clayton's Pinheads. Pins, pinheads? Pinhead. It's, I don't know why there where that S came from. So he tweeted, he's like, I'm a bit blown away by this. The clever redesign of the makeup, the shimmer of the quote-unquote Pinheads, the palette, whatever that keyhole locket tracheotomy thing at the throat, it's simple, subtle, disturbing, and sexy. Everything it should be. Peace and pain. And then Doug, and then some emojis. So that's like super high praise. Doug Bradley is actually largely responsible for the appearance of of the way Pinhead looks. I remember seeing this image of Doug Bradley and Clive Barker sitting next to it's like this black and white image and Doug Bradley had this wood with like a bunch of nails on it and the way that the image came out or something like that it kind of looked like Pinhead I mean you had these nails on there and I think that's largely that's a big part of how like inspiration for the characters look or something I don't know it was something like that I, I remember seeing this in, when I watch is like fake fake you know someone made up the story but I'm pretty sure that that's the case so Next week or this this week next podcast, hopefully, is where we'll hear about Hellraiser, and I am super scared about that. I believe there are some early reactions. Oh man, I I hope I I don't get sad because I really want this to be good. But that's gonna be the news for this week. All right, with comic books this week at Image Comics, we have. Brigade number one remastered. Uh, Rob Liefeld's brigade. Uh, the the synopsis: the issue that started it all. Brigade number one remastered by today's top comic book artist. Brigade exploded onto the scene as one of Image Comics' launch titles. I don't remember. I always thought Youngblood was. Maybe they came out at the same time. Uh, let's see, making its first appearance in August 1992 in electrifying fandom. We celebrate and commemorate the impact and anniversary of this historic occasion with a star-studded roster of illustrators creating all new magic with fresh new pages for the commemorative 30th anniversary issue. I tried reading this and it is there is some cool artwork and you know stuff like that but the story felt so 90s. I was just like I was like oh man I I couldn't read it. I don't I must have read I must I must have like the original brigade because I think I bought like everything image back then, and some like multiple copies. 
<laughs> so I must have read it. But I, the pages I read, it's like I don't really remember that so much. I mean, I I know I say I remember reading Youngblood. I so remember that, but Brigade, I don't remember it so much. So I think the idea is they just basically took the original script and just had other people draw it, like redraw it. And most of you were like, like you know, one page per artist or something like that. Some were like two pages, I think, or maybe some. Most of them were two pages. So yeah, there's there's that. Department of Truth twenty one. Man, this this issue or the series, I, I'm I'm kind of it's making me anxious now. So we had the whole thing, you know, the whole premise. Twenty one issues in, and the whole idea is that um, Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, he's alive. And he's running this Department of Truth, this covert group in the government. They have like this some weird secret budget and everything like that. And they're dealing with all these conspiracies. And it turns out that like some conspiracies are actually created. Like you know, there's been different things like Mothman and Bigfoot and you know whatever. Just you know, landing on the moon and you know just all these things that you hear about. Uh, Chupacabra, I think Jersey Devil or whatever. So somehow they're creating some things, but then there's this one dude that works for the Department of Truth, and now it's like, wait, is he working against them? And is Lee Harvey Oswald the good guy? Is he not the good guy? What is happening here? And you know, our main character Cole, Cole Turner, you know, he was recruited and brought into this because there's this other organization that's kind of like working against everything. But now it's like, wait. Who, who what is right what's wrong and what's up and what's down so it's just this book is so trippy and just it's almost scary in a way you know just thinking of not that like oh maybe this is real but maybe it is real i mean james tynan i i just applaud him so each issue is just so amazing eight billion genies number five this was a, a crazy book or crazy crazy book i'm getting a switch this is a crazy issue and so the idea was one day all eight billion genies come up and everyone gets one wish and of course the world goes to hell because a lot of people just do crazy wishes and and this one dude's like i wish that my bar and everyone inside will be unaffected by any outside wishes so despite everything going on outside people people in there are safe no nothing can harm them and the world is basically obliterated. You know, it's like almost uninhabitable at this point because, you know, some time has passed. And, uh, yeah, so it's like, where is it going to go from there? And then, so, you know, sorry, progress and blah, blah, blah. Things are resolved temporarily. But it looks like the next issue we're going to get, like, this time jump. It's like, okay, what's going to happen after what was kind of resolved in this issue? So this, I, I really like this. So, you know, Charles Soul is, is doing this. And uh, it's just... It's kind of crazy in a way, and you know, just I, the fact that this is going to be like an Amazon series. I think I'm I'm really excited uh, to see how what this is going to be like. Ryan Brown does art, and if you haven't been reading this, you should. I imagine I don't think a trade has come out yet. It, I would. This is like a good stopping point. So because I think there might be a little break, and then I think the the book is coming back in a, in a few months. But yeah, so. You should should be checking out. Same thing with um. I hate this place. Number five. This is like the the last issue in this first story arc. I believe we're yeah we're getting more later. And this has been a, another interesting story. You know, we had this this couple. Uh, one one of the the women, her her aunt that she wasn't really close to, 
left her this farm and, and her will. So did the two women go there and there's like these ghosts outside the farm and there, you know, there's like instructions, like don't go out at night. There's also this, this like these bank robbers that were like in the area and there's like, they were killed. So this one guy's like, look, they, the two of them betrayed the third guy and then they were going to bury the money. So he wants his money and he's like posing as like a farm hand. And there's this other guy, like this exorcist dude, TV, like exorcist dude, or ghost hunter that was brought in and and there's like just just weird like what the heck is going on in the woods and so it's it's uh, definitely an interesting book so you should check that out uh little monsters trade paperback came out volume one that has been an amazing book uh jeff lemire and dustin win magic order three number three so this is uh mark miller and then uh Gigi cavanago does the art what what i liked about this is you're you're seeing some stuff like like there's there's part where these kids are being trained and it's just kind of cool that i mean it makes sense that you're gonna have kids being trained it's not like harry potter but there's this part where like okay you know this this stuff happened nearby here so you need to go into water and and look for these something I, you know i'm trying not to give things away so they just like dive in there and you know they can breathe underwater because of magic and there's just like other stuff so i i hope Netflix. I don't. I don't know what the deal is. Like when I'm assuming at some point, I'm. I'm pretty sure it's. It's happening that we are going to get a Magic Order series on on Netflix. But hopefully, it'll actually continue and not just give us one season and get canceled. Like a lot of Netflix shows seem to be doing lately. Fingers crossed. Um, Then there's Old Dog. Number one. So this is written by this is written drawn by Declan Shelby. Reading this, this is when you start reading this, and it's like, oh, holy crap! You know, when when you get to a certain point, it's like, wait. Then it makes you like want to go back and like read reread the issue. So the synopsis: is Jack Lynch was a once promising CIA agent on the eve of retirement, looking back at a failed career. He is tasked with one final mission that goes horribly wrong. He wakes years later to a changed world and deeper changes within him. When a shadow group offers Lynch a second chance at a life of adventure, he's paired with the last person he could ever imagine. I was going to say, that's about to be a huge spoiler right there if they say that. In order to adjust, this old dog will have to learn new tricks. So it's a definitely, it's, it's a cool, cool story. The Winter Soldier meets Mission Impossible in his born action espionage blowout. So I I recommend this. This I mean it, it's pr- pretty cool, and reading it, it's like wait what is going on here what so there's there's definitely some some craziness here. Skybound presents After School number three of four. So this is another uh, like one shot story, and this is like a little disturbing. I, I don't want to spoil anything, so let's see what it says. In this issue, Jill Blode Vogel. And Marley Zarconi, so uh, Jill does wrote Scream the TV series, I guess, or some episodes. Marley, the change, the changing girl. They present a horror story about a different kind of sibling bonding. Annoying younger sister doesn't even begin to explain Lita's situation. Living with Izzy means perpetual chaos, firecrackers, pranks, and zero privacy. But when a killer breaks into their home, Izzy might just be their best defense. So basically, this little girl, you know, she's there's something going on, you know, she and she can't communicate. There's no like verbal communication, 
and she's just like like, like not necessarily i don't want to say wild or anything like that but she just does what she's going to do so you have this teenage girl and you know she's trying to deal with all this and it's just it's hard you know she loves her sister but it's just it's just crazy and i don't want to give too much away but then things things kind of get a little dark in there so that's interesting still water number 15 by uh uh chip sardarsky and Ron perez uh, this is continuing the story. You know, they've expanded the town by certain means. And, you know, you still have these different factions because the people ruling, not everyone agrees with what they're doing. And, you know, every, your hands are kind of tied. There's a, a lot of threat. Like the, the big threat is, you know, if, if you don't cooperate, they're going to bury you alive. You know, that's that's the, the big thing. Because since you can't die in Stillwater, if you're buried, you're you're alive you're just stuck there and how horrific is that you know forget solitary confinement this is like a million times worse so there's uh, definitely things brewing here and i don't even know like what what they're gonna do like what is the solution because some people just want to go out you know they they don't want to be trapped in the town just just because you're immortal in this town you know the, the powers that be they're like well no one can leave because if word gets out then the government's gonna come and start dissecting everyone and so, so basically, everyone's like a prisoner here. So it's just, it's it's crazy. At DC, there's DC versus Vampires issue nine. Yeah, I just, I'm just such a fan of the art here. But it's just progressing the story more. You know, you got the King Vampire, which is it a secret who the King Vampire is? I don't want to give that away. But like part of the thing is, you know, what's interesting, we, we find out some more stuff about Black Manta. And, you know, they're, they're transporting Kara you know with the what the vampires have done to the world you know like basically the sun has been blocked so kara doesn't have her powers but she has potential to be super powerful so you know they have to protect her and then there's like this like uh what what i what i thought was really cool there's this like human prison camp in smallville and there's someone there at first there's like wait who is this guy it turns out it's grifter so i i think it, it was cool to see him and we just get to see more people, you know, uh, Green Arrow and, and Aquaman and, you know, just the whole idea of these vampires. And uh, it's, I, I'm, I'm really digging the story. And I, I don't know what, I'm so, every time I read this, I'm so surprised because it just feels so gimmicky. You know, it's like the whole like Marvel zombies. You know, I, I feel like that was just, that got so overplayed. And then even like, you know, DC, so that was good. And everything like that but it's like okay how much more can we take so now dc versus vampires like oh dc characters turning into vampires how original but it is it's it's good so i i definitely recommend that tim drake robin number one man um i don't really know what to say about this so um fortunately unfortunately the art is by riley rosmos and I don't know what I would want Riley Rosmo to do. Like Cowboy Ninja Biking, I love that book. And I thought his art was was amazing on that. I feel like there's just like some things that work and some things that don't. But with his art here, one thing that I always kind of notice, and again, I'm I'm not trying to knock. I, I, I would love to have Riley's art style, to have any sort of, I have zero art style. You know, I, I can draw an image. I don't have my own personal style, which drives me nuts. And I know it's a matter of practice and blah, 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 all that stuff. 
But like one of the things like I it just sometimes the shape of the skull looks I don't know how to describe it. It it's it's like it distracts me or I just sit there and ponder it and look at it. But looking at the way Tim Drake even like his haircut is just just seems weird. It's it's just it's there's like it's just like a round it's almost like a helmet on his head and then like kind of you know parted to the side or something like that to to me that just does not look like tim drake i mean i mean but like if if you were to look at i don't know it's just that doesn't look like tim drake and then the other weird thing there there's you know more on on tim's new love life you know he's he's got a boyfriend now it just it feels weird the way he's caring about and I, I am not one to explain this. You know, I'm not an expert on what it's like, you know, being in the closet or being in denial and then accepting who you are and embracing who you are, you know, all that. But it just, it, he, the way he goes on about this guy is like, oh, he's so in love. And this guy, or, I mean, maybe not necessarily love, but he's like so happy and just all this idea and all is like, is he my boyfriend? Can I call him and all that? And But it's like when he was with Stephanie, I don't remember him like mooning over her so much and just going on about that. And, and, you know, it was like, we didn't get all this like inner monologue where it's like, Oh man, you know, we held hands today and this. And so it's just weird. It just feels like it's a different character and it shouldn't be that like, Oh, now Tim is embracing being bisexual or, or, you know, so now, now he, he really cares about a dude you know, somewhat of the same sex, that shouldn't change the way he he handles, right? I I, I can't speak on, on this, but I'm assuming if you're bisexual, you are attracted to a person and it does not matter if they're male or female. You know, you see beyond that. So I was thinking like, you know, bisexual people are more open-minded, but it feels like, you know, you really look at the person, you fall for the person, gender does not matter. So that that's great. You know, just embrace that. But... It's just, I don't think, you know, whether you love or you're into person A or person B and one's a boy and one's a girl, I don't think that the way you feel towards one would, or how you express how you feel would change depending on if you're talking about the boy or the girl. Does that make any sense? That's how I, I'm I'm kind of feeling about that. I, I, I can, I'm fine. If, if you want Tim Drake to be bisexual, okay. I, I'm not opposed to that, even though there was, from what I saw, there was never any hints of that. But maybe he just wasn't aware. Again, I'm I'm not going to talk touch on that. But it just feels like now that he's accepted it, he's become a, a different character, just the way he's he's talking about those things. Other than that, you know, he's still solving crimes, and you know, we we do get a lot of that in here. Where, you know, there's like a murder and, you know, he's investigating and he's like looking at different things and he's like, oh, it must be this because we have this laying over here and remnants of this. So it's got to be something sort. So, you know, you get a lot of like Tim Drake, you know, young detective, you know, brilliant detective, what do you even call it? So, yeah. Um, and then he's got where he's living now. I don't, I don't know about that. And so we'll see. But I, I can't say I love the issue. It just... With like his, and I don't know why his hairstyle, I'm so hung up on his hairstyle. Because like, who am I to talk about hairstyles? But it just he feels like such a, like, from where he last saw him, it's like, whoa, what? Such, such changes, like everywhere. Anyways, 
Um, then we had uh, Nice House on the Lake, number 10. This James Dine, and you're doing it again. You're making me anxious. You know, think we're, we're seeing more like stuff from the past, and things are about to get really messy with how this. So, you know, you had this group of people, they were invited to this house, and it's kind of like the end of the world, and they're like in this bubble. But some things are going to kind of be exposed. And yeah, so things are about to get really super messy. Human Target number seven. Uh, it feels feels like I, th- I I was like, is did that book end? I was like, wait, what happened? Because it feels like it's, it's been a little while. I mean, maybe there's, I don't know, delayers or pause. I, maybe it was meant to be. But there's still the matter of like who poisoned Human Target? You know, why is he dying? And, you know, he's been trying to, f- to find out. We might just get some answers here. That's all I'm going to say. But uh, Greg's Smallwood's art, holy crap, so good. Task Force Z. So this is apparently the last issue. Wraps a lot up. I really liked this series in the beginning, and then I just kind of started like falling off of it as it just progressed. So it's just I don't I can't quite put my finger under you know as we start to find out more about what's going on, who's involved. You know, there's like some shocking moments. And then, you know, like when we saw Two-Face, like what what is he doing? And then, but then there's like, there, there's two different groups, two factions. It's, uh, it just felt like it started, not, I don't want to say convoluted, but it just started losing me. Um, then my favorite book of the last few months, Superman Space Age number two. Oh my goodness. This, this series. I love the first one. I love this one. So this is Mark Russell writing you know which I, I i love everything he writes you know it's just so creative and funny but not like being like over the top funny like which i'm gonna or, or not trying to be funny and failing which i'll talk about another book later and uh mike allred does the art laura allred does the colors oh this is just, i just love this so much it's just such a nice vibe and just everything going on and it's just such a it's such a delightful book and i know that's you know kind of corny that you know when you hear that but uh, it's just so good and i i if if i could only read like one comic or whatever or one dc comic i would would go for this because you know it has everything it's in in its own continuity which i should have mentioned this when i talk about continuity but uh, it's just it's so so good Uh, read issue one issue two these are like oversized issues so there's like so much goodness contained then there's harley quinn 22 so i i did i know i haven't been reading uh harley quinn but i I was like well maybe i'll i'll check this out harley quinn gets killed and so kevin the dude like the former joker clown that she's been kind of hanging out with uh the bumbling dude he wants to ha- get her resurrected basically and he's trying to seek out like league of assassins or you know someone with a lazarus pit and uh but the lazarus pits are unstable so what 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 does this mean so i don't know uh detective comics uh 1064 i i honestly don't remember what happened in this issue i i'm i haven't been like super crazy about the current story arc i mean there's there's stuff with talia and damian and just uh, I, I don't know i mean yeah it's just it's it's not holding my interest for some reason which is just weird um deathstroke inc 13 we're still in deathstroke year one it, it's it's such a weird 
interruption in the series. It's good. You know, Ed Brisson's doing a good job telling the story that I, you know, I thought it's like, oh, I thought I already knew everything about his origin, but you know, we're, we're seeing, finding out more. And, uh, yeah, so it's, but it's just weird because with everything that's happening with Deathstroke and, uh, whatever, um, the current, um, event is. And it's, it's just like, okay, now we're going to jump back in time and go back to the beginning, even though Deathstroke's playing such a big role in this, you know, story. Okay. Then uh, there was DC Horror Presents Sergeant Rock versus Army of the Dead, number one. Even though this was written by Bruce Campbell, it didn't hold my interest. And, you know, I'm just not really a big war comics fan. So I was just like reading it and... Uh, yeah, and I, I think part of it also is I felt like there was a lot of books to read this week, so I wasn't as forgiving, you know, as as, as in terms of how much time I'm going to give something. So I started reading it. I was like, I have like you know like fifty other not fifty. I have a million other books to read. <laughs> so I I just I stopped reading it. Batman Fortress. So Batman is still trying to get to the bottom of things, trying to figure out what's going on. Like where is Superman? What happened to Fortress of Solitude? He's working with Chip the. Uh, Green Lantern. He's kind of siding with Lex Luthor as well. And, uh, you know, he doesn't really want to, but, you know, President Lex Luthor, I should say. So they need to figure out what's going on. And uh, then I think this was, there's like some aliens and like things don't go too well. <laughs> so that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, then there is Batman Beyond a White Knight. So more with Batman and the essence of Jack Napier, Napier, Joker, you know, programmed into him or whatever, and, and just dealing with all of that. And it's, I, I, I just, I love this series. This is so good. And in Action Comics 1047, we have, you know, Superman's back. It was, it was an okay issue. I mean, I, yeah, it, a lot of what's going on is, so, you know, Superman coming back, he's, He's kind of brought War World with him, so there's like all these people there, and some people in War World, you know, they want to go off and try to return back to their their home planets and stuff like that. But some people are like, oh, maybe we'll we'll hang out on Earth and like that. So like the United Nations, there's a lot of concern that Superman's brought all these people in that you know, um, inhabited by people who know only cruelty and bloodshed. So you know, they're they're kind of concerned with what does this mean if they come to Earth and stuff like that. But of course, you know, then Superman shows up and. Yeah, yeah, whatever. So we have that. Okay, so that, I think that was it at DC. At Marvel, we had uh, another Axe of Avengers book. So this one is, so this isn't part of the regular Axe. It's like, okay, like we don't have enough. Now you're doing these other books. You know, we have the Axe book, and it is, I feel like every other like X-Men book has been a tie-in. You know, we had Avengers, it was a tie-in. So now we have this Axe Avengers, which is also written by Kieran Gillen. And it's it's about Tony Stark. And um, it just, I just could not care less. Or couldn't care less. Amazing Spider-Man number 10. Guess what? This is an Axe tie-in. So the, basically what's been happening a lot is, you know, the, the Celestial that was like born or whatever is judging everyone. Are you worthy to live? And it's taking like the guise of someone that you care about in most cases, like the Avengers one that I, I said was okay last week. It was 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 good, 
was a uh, you know, Hawkeye basically talking to Natasha, which is weird because she's still alive and it it's not like in the MCU where you know she's dead and whatever. So here Spider Man is like seeing Gwen Stacy and you know he's trying to explain he's like trying to show her around like what's going on and so but then but then wait wait Peter who are you working for now that might be a little sticky and then something kind of weird happens at the end or towards the end so um so yeah despite the fact that it was an axe tie-in there are some things that i liked about this issue ant-man issue three this is such a bizarre um ant-man story i love the covers i love tom riley's art and it's just weird seeing ant-man the different ant-mans and just seeing like the story unfold and everything like that so i'm I'm liking this way more and i thought i've always been okay with ant-man but i'm I'm really really digging this captain america symbol of truth uh i just had issues with this you know sam wilson is in wakanda because there's like all the stuff going on you know there's like people smuggling vibranium out there's like people like human trafficking going on so he's trying to go you know there's this group trying to get people to like migrate to Wakanda and everything. You return to the homeland or motherland or whatever. And, and so Sam's trying to get the bottom things. And, you know, he was told this, this mind his own business, basically this is Wakanda business. And so he goes there and, and like black Panthers being all like having a hissy fit and, and whatever. So yeah, that wasn't, I wasn't super crazy about that. And I also was absolutely not crazy about damage control. Number two, Oh, jeez, this this book. So this is from the writers of TV's The Goldbergs, which I haven't watched that. I you know I've seen like clips on the commercials and it looks like it's funny, but this oh, god, this book is it, it almost it's like it makes me angry. I just uh, I I I like the idea of damage control. I think it's like a brilliant concept. And, you know, there's always been, like, some kind of quirkiness going on, you know, and because I think the way it unfolds and the way it hits, it, there's there's kind of like a, a, a com- comedic angle to it. You know, the fact that all this stuff's getting smashed and they're fixing it, whatever. And, and you know, you can just, like, di- dig deeper. Like, how is this happening and what's, you know, where are they getting this technology from? How can they rebuild things overnight? And But this is just... Uh, it's bad. So basically, what I believe is happening, what I think from what I recall in the first one, this dude, I think he used to be an intern now. He's like chief intern or something like that. Or I don't know what his new role is. He hires, he gets his friend a job. And his his friend has like zero qualifications. And he was such like a grade A jerk. And, you know, he's just like the last issue he's supposed to deliver like all these letters and then he's like oh no i didn't deliver this one eh oh well it doesn't matter and it turned out that if this letter didn't get delivered then like the whole multiverse could shatter or something like that and but guess what he so he almost destroys all whatever it was i don't remember because i'm blocking it out he doesn't get fired he gets fired from that department you're gonna get another job and then he it's just yeah i just oh I I I I'm at a loss of words, and me, Mister Rambling, the Rambler. Oh man, Genesis Captain Marvel issue three. I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, I was always interested, not always interested. I was kind of interested in, in Genesis uh, Val Val 
and Rick Jones, like the sharing the body and, you know, those stories. I, I feel like I didn't, I like I missed the first issue, first couple issues or whatever, but I know I did read that series. So now, you know, they're both back and, you know, there's, there's some unstableness going on and, you know, like what is happening with Marlowe and, so there's a, a lot a lot of weird stuff happening here and then there's a scroll can the scroll be trusted and what wait what's happening and so yeah I'm I'm definitely intrigued and a little confused because I feel like I'm missing out on some stuff but but it's Peter David so there's definitely some cool things in in here Then there's uh Miles Morales Spider-Man number 42 Wah wah wah! Oh blah! So, uh, this was like the last issue. Miles Morales, Spider-Man, forever. It's done. It's the book's ended. Until we get what Sp- Spider-Man number? One? I don't even know what it's called. We're getting new Miles Morales book. Uh, I think November, maybe next month. So it's like, why are you ending this series and then relaunching? Is uh, I don't understand that, but. Here, Miles and his friends are, are hanging out, and then they walk by this place like, oh, tarot readings, let's go. Oh, wait, $100 a reading, forget that. And then the lady's like, whoa, wait. And then she like decides she's going to read dirt. And then we see Miles, which I guess is supposed to be like in the near future, and then it's like, what's the point of all this? You know, because he's still at school, you know, just talking about like his scholarship, writing scholarship he, he wants to win, and... I don't know. I just, I do not know. Oh, and then he talks to like, this friend that he made that designed his costume. This, like, uh, uh, clothes, this designer extraordinaire, like, gifted clothes designer. And uh, he's like, whoa, you need a new costume? He's like, no, your cost- the costume's still doing great, but I could use a suit for this awards assembly or awards ceremony. It's like, dude, no, you need a new costume. <laughs> Which he is going to get, I think. Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, and the Ten Rings, issue three. I, I couldn't read this. There's a part, The reason I can't read this, there's like all these other characters, and I don't have a connection to them, so I don't know who they are, and I don't know if I'm supposed to care. I don't know. Then there's a Star Wars Han Solo and Chewbacca. Han Solo and Chewbacca were betrayed, were double-crossed, I guess, and you know, there's this guy that said he was Han Solo's dad. Is like, is he really his dad? What what's going on? And you know, just like weird things like that. Yeah. So Han and, and you know, this guy was cl- claiming to be Han's father, and you know, they went on this mission, and uh, yeah. So they're betrayed. And wait, what happened to Han Solo? Is he dead? Is he gone? And Chewbacca's like locked up. And the, who who's got the Millennium Falcon? There's a lot of craziness. It's like the whole star. Everything's over in Star Wars. It's like forget it. How's how's how are they going to continue? Uh, then there was oh Strange uh, Volume One came out. The trade for it. I'm, I'm looking at the Marvel app. Uh, I I've, I've been digging that series. Jed McKay, Clea is a Sorcerer Supreme. You should be reading that. Uh, Thor number twenty seven came out. Uh, got venom in here, and it's, I I still I don't I'm not super sure like what's going on with with Eddie Brock venom, and uh, he just kind of shows up and uh, I just I couldn't read it. I'm sorry. Thunderbolts number two. This is an interesting series. So Luke, now that Luke Cage is the mayor of New York, spoiler, 
you know, then Wilson Fisk had started like the Thunderbolts under shady means, but Luke's like, well, we're not, we're going to turn this around. So there is an actual Thunderbolts, which I, I'm not really sure how I feel about some of the members, but Hawkeye is on there. So that's great. But we have this other weird sort of questionable. And in, in my opinion, and questionable as far as like, do I, am I going to like these characters? And but it's it's good in a way because it's not like all a list characters. So yeah, it makes sense to have some other weird characters and not we not weird isn't weird, but uh, it's it's interesting how like some things are there's like so much kind of like legal pa- the paperwork and stuff that has to be done. You know things have to go a certain way and so it's an interesting approach. You know because it's not like your regular team superhero book. You know there's there's like procedures that have to be done and so forth. So I'm, I'm curious to see where this is going to go. And then there is X-Men 15. So this, I wasn't super crazy about this. So that's children at a vault thing. So who went in there? It was, it was X 23. It was sync. I feel like someone else went in there. Darwin. Was that it? So in this vault thing, which I feel like I missed where it first came from time travels differently there so like sink has like his memory you know he had like i don't know how, i don't think it was a thousand years but he lived this long time and then like in this this vault like he and laura like got close and fell in love had his relation like that but then when he came out like she doesn't remember any of that but he still kind of remembers it anyways so th- there's these dangerous beings in the children of the vault and they i think they're trying to escape i don't even know what's going on and forge is like trying to deal with deal with them and help them like cyclops i it's crazy stuff here and uh i don't what i don't like about it (laughs) is because it's just other big crazy dangerous threat and i feel like that that's all we have and i know we need that we need to have the conflicts but it's just like it's one thing after another it's like we just were dealing with the, the the axe crossover last issue which didn't feel like it was a month ago it feels like it was less and there's this going on and just always something and and part of the problem is because these children of alt are like so insanely overpowered because they basically have like thousands you know like a thousand years to train and get better and stronger and fat whatever so it's just like man there's there's no way out of this so i i don't know but i guess that's the dilemma is that's what makes it tantalizing this word i don't often use but there you go all right then rick and morty season six episode four night family so this this was a good episode i i i want to say it's like original i mean and by original i mean it's like different from it's it's it didn't feel like like a formulaic episode or like a different version of an episode that we've seen or an idea or something like that i also like the the fact that like the whole family was involved so you know it's 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 great when it's Rick and Morty and then, you know, we've been seeing summer involved and, you know, lately, you know, sometimes we get Jerry and then, you know, we've had Beth and space Beth. So it's, it's been cool seeing everyone uh, active in, in this one. So it starts off. There's like a, a, a quote on, on the screen when you're alone in the middle of the night, when you wake in a sweat and in a hell of a fright, when you're alone in the middle of the bed, when you wake, like someone hit you in the head, you've had a cream of a nightmare dream and you've got the hoo-hahs, T.S. Eliot. I was like, what? So it starts Jerry snoring and Beth's wide awake. So then it's like, oh, is this because, is she thinking about Space Beth? Is this continuation from the last episode? So she tries like the sheep counter app and doesn't work. So finally, you know, Jerry starts mumbling. So she grabs her pillow, goes downstairs. 
it's obviously dark. The house is really creepy. You know, it's middle and I forget what time it was. She lays down on the couch and everything. Then all of a sudden she gets startled by this zombie looking Rick. And he's like doing sit-ups. He's like ha- half asleep or something like that. And then he just gets up. He, he like doesn't say a word to her. She's like, what are you doing? Or something like that. He doesn't say anything. In the morning at breakfast, she's like, uh, what was up with you last night? You just totally ignored me. And Rick's like, oh, that wasn't me. That was my night person. He he's having his night person do crunches while he sleeps. He lifts up his shirt. He's got like this killer six pack. So he said that he bought like some device. I don't. I forget if it was a passing like a, someone an alien passing through the system or something like that. You just have to type it, like type in stuff to do, and it finds an unconscious body or your quote unquote night person to do it while you sleep. Morty's like, well, I want a six pack too. And Summer wants to learn Spanish for her test next week. Rick's like, no one gets a night person. So he's like, the text too advanced for you. Then Summer just takes out her phone and like quietly starts like doing stuff. And Rick's like, what? And, and you know, he, then finally he's like, okay, fine. He's like, but you have to give a blood sample because it needs your DNA. And you know, Beth's like, well, I want to learn to trumpet. It's like that's what you want to do. Jerry's like hesitant, whatever, to give his blood. He's like, well, can I just give it Beth's credit card number and. So then he's like, okay, fine. He's like, but someone needs to catch me if I faint. Summer's like, hooray, night family. And then Jerry's like standing here and he falls, he faints. He falls on the table. No one catches him. So then we see Beth's playing the trumpet. Summer come, walks in the front door. She's speaking Spanish and everything. Morty, Morty has like a crop top shirt. You know, he has his regular yellow shirt. It was cut off so his abs are showing. Rick comes in. Uh, because they they've started a, a, a podcast called a fabsolutely absolus fab fabsolutely abulous or something like that, but it's like he has a cut off shirt and lab coat also, so it's just like <laughs> they just take a pair of shears to I don't know. Jerry comes in with a box of letters from his pen pal, so night Jerry and he write letters back and forth, and they're. They're just like kind of like what Summer and Beth like read some of the stuff and they just like laugh at him and he gets mad. So then it's nighttime. Night family wakes up and they just look like zombies. They're just like you know eyes half asleep and they're just like lumbering around the house. Beth starts playing the trumpet. Rick and Morty are doing their crunches. Jerry does laundry. Summer does dishes and and it looks at her hands. Her hands are all wrinkly and everything like that. Pruny. So then next day, Rick and Morty are doing their podcast and they have sponsors even. And, you know, they're like finishing up and Jerry comes in. He's like, dinner's getting cold. So he uh, he says that night, Jerry said night summer would appreciate it if everyone could rinse off their plates. And Rick's like, what? So at the table, Rick says their jobs are not to make things easier for the night people. And Jerry's like, well, it's a reasonable request. And, you know, he's like, he works like he got the machine to make his life easier. So until further notice, which is never. And then he, he like squirts ketchup, like all over their plates and tables. He's like request denied. And he, he gets up to leave even like, it's like spits on the table. So Rick wakes up, looks at his abs and he's like, he says, hello to the night machine thing. And he goes to the kitchen and he looks in cabinet. There's like no dishes in cabinet. Beth calls, you know, they're in the other room and summer points a big pile of like smashed plates so apparently night family broke them all and rick angrily leaves he flies out of space he goes to like forbidden zone um eight marmadukes beyond the outer rim whatever that means there's this like alien with this big kind of like crystal hammer what is like about to smash him when rick's like you owe me so the the alien melts like a hunk this like some weird looking metal thing 
it's like kind of spiky or whatever like that pours it into a mold and it's like there's all these like stuff on this conveyor belt it's like laser etchings like something on the back and it so it turns out that they're plates and it says 110 percent indestructible so rick returns in, in his space car with his like this big crate which i guess has a plate the family comes out he's like well we eat off of these and jerry's like looks like you spent an awful lot of of energy just to not give the Knight family what they want. And Rick says to Jerry, he's like, tell your boyfriend to suck my bleep. And then he's, and he's like, good luck trying to break super alien dishes. So Rick is woken up with smelling salt. Knight Beth, Jerry and Morty are standing over him like zombies. Knight Beth asks, why won't he rinse his dishes? And he's like strapped down to his bed. Knight Morty says, it takes two seconds. Knight Jerry whispers that, if he doesn't, the schmutz dries up and makes it harder to clean. And Night Summer comes in. She says that um, he is not in charge here. So he won't rinse his dishes. So that means that she has to. The others like force his mouth open. And she starts scraping like the crusty food schmutz into his mouth. And he's like, no. And she says that you know she has always been there inside the mind of his grandchild waiting to come out. His machine apparently allowed her to steal the night. Soon she will seize the day. And then she like covers up his mouth and so he has to swallow. In the morning, he's like vomiting t- in- into a wastebasket. He's like, oh, baby Jesus, it's awful. And then he like ch- drinks like a bunch- big bottle of mouthwash, whatever. Kicks open Summer's door. You know, she's sleeping. And he's like, WTF is your problem with me. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I was force fed diarrhea by your night person. And he's like, who also convinced Knight him to lock himself out of his tech. Then Morty calls out the Knight family stripped the house down last night. Everything's gone. You know, the plates or the couch, the shelves, like everything, even the the machine, they locked, they're locked out of the garage too. So they can't go in there. So probably everything's in there or whatever. Then Rick asked summer. He's like, are you happy? He has to come up with a plan to beat night summer. So she's going undercover. He grabs, um, he makes this some stuff or whatever. He, he makes like this energy cage with like garbage and like his daytime saliva. Cause there's, there's apparently there's like enzymes in your daytime saliva is different for your nighttime. So whatever. So there's like all this garbage and like old eggs and he just like licks it. And then there's like this big energy dome over the house. So no one will be able to leave until he wins. And Morty's like, where's summer? And Rick's like, he's like, don't worry about it. He's like, just go to bed. So summer is in this like itchy suit which has like, you know, it's like an itchy sweater. There's like air horns on the side of like this helmet. Her eyes are like pried open. It's almost like something like out of Hellraiser or whatever. And there's like these tubes and stuff. There's like an iPad, iPod like strapped to her. So he says it, it's a sleep deprivation suit to keep her awake until morning. So, and she's also wearing high heels, which uh, I don't know what the point of that was. She's like, won't they be suspicious when they see me covered in all this? And he's like, well, you're the leader tonight, people. So they won't question you. He's like, just blend in. And he's like, if you start to nod off, like drink on, you know, on this left tube or whatever, it's a combination of Mountain Dew and NyQuil. And, and she's, it's supposed to be really bad or something like that. And, but then also, you know, there's like forks in the back of her suit. So I guess she can't lay down. He gives her like this puck thing. So he says, when she finds a machine, use that, attach that to it. And it'll short out the, the machine thing. So Summer's walking around. She's drinking the mix. It's 3.33 a.m. And then the rest of the Knight family wakes up. And then they're carrying all the stuff into like the, the room beneath the garage, like the, the basement, the lab room, or whatever. Summer is surprised. There's like this big floating like energy orb thing. 
um night rick is there somehow so i i don't i thought he was locked out but i guess he's still i don't know um the computer screen says field range 155 percent. he does fiddles with some stuff like that then goes up to 160 then summer puts a puck on a machine and then night rick asks like why are you wearing that suit and Nightjar's like, yeah. Summer like takes drinks. She's like, yeah, because you're all such clothing experts. They're like, that's fair. Point taken. Ouch. And she's like, get back to work. I rule the night and stuff. So she's like talking slowly. So it's uh, then Summer wakes up Rick. He says that you know, uh, or he says that he is working on a machine to expand the range of the house so she's taken off the suit because she's like but I defeated it because she put the, the thing on top of, of the thing <laughs> I put the thing on top of the things that's what she said so Rick calls it to the others and she says it's like, I almost got pinched but I did it so he tells the others nightmare's over no more night family and then Jerry's like Good, goodbye pen pal Summer says she wants Shoney's pancakes Rick's like breakfast is on me and he licks the garbage thing you know put his slave on there to force feels down then he says that he's sorry that he doubted you know Summer could do it and then she's like kind of rude she's like well your opinion of me means very little or something like that and then she's like did you think you could stop me with this Rick and then she has a puck security robots like these flying robot things jump in and they're surrounded. And then Jerry says, like, way after the fact, she's Night Summer. And they're like, yeah, thanks, Jerry. We, we got it. <laughs> and then they all get shot full of trinks because the robots had these, like, little trink darts. So Jerry and Rick are doing dishes. Morty's doing crunches. Beth is, like, throwing DVDs into a fire. So I guess they don't get to watch any movies or something like that. Robots are yelling them to work and all this stuff like that. And on screen, Night Summer says that it's a uh, it's natural for the day to serve the night and night was there long before day this alarm goes off and then they're told to go to their sleep pots for resting this gas starts pumping in and then jerry quickly scribbles like on like a post-it he's like night jerry if you're truly my friend please help my family signed day jerry so night jerry opens up rick's tube he's like i'm a friend of your son-in-law he, and you see the others are awake too night jerry says they don't have long before the alarms go off outside you know they go outside the house and beth gives night jerry a kiss she's like thanks everything anything for day jerry he's a and rick slaps him <laughs> he wakes up and beth is like like oh we got our jerry back and rick's like yeah that's totally why i did that so morty's like quick let's go to rick's car and he's like morty wait and he trips this laser alarm blows up the, the car more robots come out shooting tranks at them. Beth gets into, or they, they get into like the, the family's the station wagon. Beth's driving. Summer jumps on, on top of a robot because night summer. And Rick says that they have to go to the airport. They have to get as far from them as possible. Robots are sh following them, shooting more tranks. Windows open, so Morty gets hit by a trank. He's sitting in the back seat. And then Night Morty starts attacking Jerry. Night Summer gets knocked off her robot and she steals this like cop car. And then Rick starts fighting Night Morty. He's like, he goes to punch him, but uh, he hits his abs because Morty like, lifts up his shirt. So it bounces him back. He goes flying through the back window. He lands on top of a cop car like windshield and he gets knocked out. So now Night Rick is there. Then Night Summer is like, take the wheel. So he, he gets in and she's leaning outside the passenger window, like shooting a police shotgun at them. Jerry's like in, in a family car. Jerry's like hiding in the front seat, like cowering while Beth is driving. Night Morty's pulling at Beth's hair or anything like that. Then they kind of hit, hit the breakers something like that. She hits her head on the steering wheel and now she's Night Beth. So Jerry ends up 
biting Night Morty on the arm when he's reaching at him. <laughs> just, just kind of funny that that's his defense to bite his kid. Summer and Rick wake up, and then Morty uses a cigarette lighter on his mom to wake her up. So now she's awake. Robots are like on top of the car, like gripping through it, trying to shoot tranks at them. Uh, Night Jerry, he is back and he tells them, they're like fighting him off. He's like, I'm on your side. They're like, oh yeah. Then Rick jumps off the cop car with the, the, or he jumps off the, no, he drops off the, the cop car with the shotgun, blows up the robot. Then Night Jerry tells Summer, uh, she's driving the, the cop car he's like jump in you know he's reaching out the back seat and she's like why if i'm already in a perfectly functioning car then he's like family and she's like ah and she jumps in there cop car goes flying off or driving off the freeway crashes into a gasoline factory blows up spark goes over like a couple buildings over lands on a dynamite museum that blows up and that was across the street from the dry leaf storage and then that just burns up so rick asks if everyone's awake and morty bites night jerry in the shoulder so now they're, they're all awake and then they're just about at the airport and then ow summer stuck her hand on a trank dart that was like lying in the back seat from when the robot was attacking so now night summer's back she grabs a wheel they go flying out of the car everyone's night people now so then they're like punching they're like fighting each other then when they hit you know if you hit a night person and they wake up and then the others attack and so it's just like repeating like going back and forth where they're like all like awake sleep punch wake then rick's the only one awake so they have him pinned down night summer's about to jab him and then night jerry's like but we're the same people there must be something we can do and night summer says that she'd consider a truce if they did something like rinse the dishes and night jerry says that he tells rick he's like you can end all this now if you rinse the dishes what do you say and then we see Night Rick wakes up in the back seat of a car. Night Summer's like, let's go home, Grandpa. You're like, great idea, Summer. And then credits. Then there we see like during the credits, they're like they're like in bed, and then there's a luau, then they're like painting and they're in Paris. So all this happened because Rick refused to wash the rinse of dishes, so the night people won. Then the end scenes, like in the house night beth is on the phone with someone because they haven't been paying the bills or something like that and she's says something like normally you know this would be taken care of by their daytime oppressors the car gets you see it's getting towed it's just got repossessed summer she's on her phone she had had to refresh her twitter app or something like that but she doesn't know the password because that's something that they summer knows the night rick says that he knows a way to solve all their problems shoots the device they all wake up and summer asks she's like how long have we been asleep rick looks at his phone he's like Oh no, they killed a Choco Taco. And they're like, no. And that's how it ends. So it's just a, it was a weird, weird and wacky. Just, I, I did something about seeing the, the Knight family is like these zombies. And uh, yeah, so they're basically fighting themselves. And it's just the idea of these two different, like, kind of races, like family and night and day. I don't know. I, I, I had fun watching it. Okay, then House of the Dragon. Season one, episode six, the princess and the queen. We had, this is, it, it finally happened. We got the time jump and uh, I don't know how I feel about it. And basically 10 years go by, you find out. But when it first starts off, it's like, how much time has gone by? And, Cause it, it starts off, we see Rhaenyra, she's giving birth to a baby. It, she's, you know, we have different actors now. 
which is kind of a bummer because I was really liking the 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 actor the actress who was playing Rainier before, and now they're just they're gone, and now it's 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 weird. We're six episodes in. We have these characters that we've gotten used to and everything like that, and now they've all been recast, and it's just really weird. But anyways, I, I mean, I guess that's just how it goes. So we time jumped. So Rainier has a baby. It's a boy. It's healthy. And then, uh, like, a servant comes in and is like, the queen has requested the baby be brought to her immediately. And she's like, why? So she gets up, uh, you know, she's like, I'll, I'll take him myself. And the handmaiden's like, you should, you know, be in bed. And she's like, yes, I should. She's like, help me get dressed. And so she starts walking, and she's like, oh, she's bending over. She's like, here comes the afterbirth. <laughs> then uh, Lanier, her husband, comes in, new actor as, as well. And he's like, oh, I heard it's a boy. And sh- she starts walking and he's surprised uh, that, you know, she's like, oh, she wants to see, you, you know, you now or something like that. And, you know, he says that he's coming with her. And she's like, I should hope so. So then there's like people in the halls. There's like a ton of stairs that have to go up. And, you know, he's like, what could she possibly want? And he's like, I thought she was past this. You know, uh, Rainier has, has to pause. And he's like, oh, you should go back. And she's like, no, whatever. So finally, and and her place, Allison's standing by the window. She's getting fitted for a dress or something like that. Then she sees Rainier, and she's like, "Oh, you should be resting after your labors." And Rainier's like, "I have no doubt you would prefer that, Your Grace." So then the king comes in. He's happy to hold his grandson. He's looking old. His hair is thin and everything like that. Allison's like, asks if they have a name, and Rainier says that we haven't talked about it yet. But then Rainier, he's like Joffrey, because that that's the name of his one dead boyfriend. And Allison's like, an unusual name for Valerian. And the king says, like, oh, I do believe he has his father's nose, which Lanier kind of smiles and Rainier just looks away. So then at this point, it's like, wait, so who is the father? Because in case you don't know, Lanier is is gay. He's not into <laughs> being with, with her. That was part of what made the marriage appealing for Rainier because, you know, she doesn't have to worry about being with, she can be with whoever they want. They have an open marriage. And uh, the kid clearly doesn't look like like Lanier. So Lanier says that Rainier should should rest. Then Allison takes the baby to look at at him. And Rainier, you can see she's kind of nervous or whatever. Then Allison says to Lanier privately, do keep trying. Sooner or later, you might get one that looks like you. So I'm not really sure why she said that. You know, is, is she being catty? Is she being mean? Or is it just, is she being, like, concerned? You know, because... It's it's hard to say where is the queen at at this point. We know she's not super happy, and what is you know how have these these ten years and and we we you know we we do pick up on it as episode goes on. So as they walk back, Rainier says like, "You don't think to consult me before you name my child?" And he's like, "He's our child, is he not?" And she's like, "Well, only one of us is bleeding," and and she's literally like leaving like a trail of blood down the hall that you see just like. Ugh. So he says that. He deserves some say in the affairs of his own family. And she's like, you haven't seemed so interested in our affairs of late. Because, you know, he's out doing whatever he's doing. So back in her quarters, she has like, uh, so we find out she has two other sons. There's a, a dude there. Um, one kid says like, oh, we've, we've chosen an egg for the baby. So the kid's name are Jace and Luke. So uh, Jace is like, oh, I let Luke choose. Um, the dude that's there is Sir Harwin, which it turns out he's, 
Lionel's son. Lionel's the, the hand of the king. So that, that's the other thing in this episode. There's like so many people introduced, which is like, you know how I feel about that. I mean, and there's like so many kids. So Lanier takes the two boys back to the dragon pit, pit before um, they send out a search party, whatever. So Harwin is, I guess, the commander of the city watch. And then so then you, as you see, it's like, why is he there? Is the baby his? Which that's what we're led to believe. At the dragon pit, uh, a smaller one is is brought out. A kid tells Prince Jacaris to call Vermax the dragon to heal. So a goat is then brought out. Vermax moved towards the goat. Vermax is the the dragon. So Jacaris is told that he needs to command a dragon. That once they fully bonded, they will be unable to take instruction from any other. Uh, Aegon is there, the king's son, and Jacaris tells Vermax to torch the goat. Then, chomp. So the the, the kids tell Aemond, he's uh, another. He's a uh, who's Aemond? Aemond is the king's other son, I guess. They tell him that you know he's the only one without a dragon. They felt bad about it, so they found one for him, and he's like, really. And they bring out a pig with like some decorations tied to it, and they call it the Pink Dread or something like that. And they like laugh at him and leave him. And Eamon hears something, starts walking down into the pit, like where the dragons are. And he comes up to one, and he's like frozen. It breathes fire, and he like gets up and runs. So Allison, we see her. She's with with a, a girl doing a lesson or something or something like that. You know, she has like a millipede or something like that talking about all this sort of stuff. Then Eamon's brought in, so he's done it again. He said, they made me go down there, which they didn't make him do anything. Then he's like, they said they had a dragon, but they gave me a pig. And Allison says, like, oh, you will have a pig someday. So Allison talks to the king about what happened. And he's like, oh, are you sure it was our Aegon that put, put the, you know, the others up to it? And she says, oh, it's a wonder that their eggs ever hatched. And he asks, what is she talking about? And she's like, you know, because, you know, basically, like the kids, Rainier's kids, you know they're they're all bastard kids or whatever. So then uh, the king has to excuse the guy working on a model. He, the king still has a, like the city model being built in in his chambers or whatever. So she says that she's been biting her tongue to have one child like that is a mistake. To have three is an insult to the throne, to him, to House Valerian, etc., etc. Then he talks about a horse that he had and and nature being a mysterious thing, whatever, doing this like whatever. And then he's like. He does this whole analogy thing about like a horse being out in the wild or something like that. But then he's like, do not speak of this again. So then she talks to Sir Kristen, the the knight. He's, so he's still there asking if, you know, it's like, has she lost her mind, you know, or has no one else? And she says that she flaunts the glory of her inheritance without shame, that she expects everyone in the red keep to deny the truth. So she's hoping in the end, honor and decency will prevail. So I guess she's just really upset that Rainier is just doing whatever she wants, even because she's supposed to be the princess next in line or whatever. The queen, um, Aegon, he's like standing in his window, like naked, doing things like out the window or trying to. And she just like comes in and he like has to like jump down and you know, dive into his bed or whatever and cover himself up. And then she's like, you know, she doesn't even acknowledge. She's like, whose idea was it? And he's like, it, it was Jace. It was both of them. 
And then she talks about Rhaenyra getting the throne and her kid following. Aegon's like, so? So she's frustrated. She's like, how can you be so short-sighted? And she says that if Rhaenyra comes into power, his very life could be forfeit. And Aemon's as well. And, you know, she won't stand for any challenge to her. He's like, well, then I won't challenge. She grabs him, like, by the face. And she's like, you are the challenge. Just by living and breathing, you are the king's firstborn son. Everyone knows that one day, you know, you should be the king. And th- so he's just like, ooh. Because she just, like, gets in his face and everything like that. So it's, it's hard to say, like, what exactly she wants. So, you know, she just is, like, really in his face. So it's hard to say, like, what she really wants is, like, does she want him to be the king? Does she feel he deserves it? I mean, she obviously has no respect for the other kids based off how they were conceived. So then we see a dragon flying with Damon on it, and it flies after another. Uh, it's like, who's on this dragon? So it, it, I assumed, and it is, it's Lena. So again, new actress. They're having dinner with like this other dude at this other place, and they have a couple daughters. She's also pregnant, we, we, we see. So this dude at this keep or whatever, he wants to give them a place there. They're in Pentos. He says that they'd be Targaryen lords with people paying them, like rent or whatever. And Damon's like listening to it because basically he, this dude wants to protect his land because they have three dragons. Like one of her daughters have has a dragon. Lena says that, you know, she's like, well, we're travelers and, you know, we don't really want to stay in one place. And Damon like cuts her off. He's like, oh, it's a very generous offer, one that we'll definitely entertain. So then she goes up to Damon about him considering the offer, and you know she says that they'd be forever guests, and he's like, "Well, we'd have no responsibilities," and she's like, "Well, we're more than this. You know, we don't belong here," and so especially you know she's pregnant, and you know, she has ideas for her kids and where her kids should be raised and stuff like that. Uh, at the, the the palace, or whatever the kids are training with like sword sword fighting. Kristen is like battling Aegon and his brother. Harwin is there too, just like standing stand around. There's like some tension, whatever. And then they decide to team up like brother against brother. And Harwin has to like interrupt the fight. Then they start. Then um, Harwin and Kristen start fighting because he he says that his interest in a prince training is interesting. So Rainier is told that there's been an incident in the yard. She hears Harwin. Oh, Harwin and his so his father Lionel, they're, they're talking about that, and he's saying that the the rumors of his intimacy with the princess could be bad for him, the kids, and her. Basically, you know, he attacked a knight at the king's guard because you know they, they get in this big fight and everything like that. And oh, um, I think it was Kristen, like actually when he's saying how it's interesting, you know, the, the his interest in, in the, the he's like you take the interest of some like like of a nephew or a brother or a son. And then he like he hits them, and then they start getting a fight. So Rhaenyra goes back to her room. Um, Laner comes in. He's like singing. He's drunk. He has a, this dude named Coral, Q A R L. Uh, she tells the guy that she'd like to speak with her husband. And you know, so he, he, Lanier says that war is a foot in the step stones. Quarrel has been fighting there, and he says that this is what he needs. You know, a battle and a cause. And she's like, "Are you mad?" She's like, "People are after us. There are questions about our son's parentage." It's like our sons need him now, not so he can go carousing through the narrow sea, waggling his sword and winking at his soldiers. He says that, well, he's a knight and a warrior. He's played his part here faithfully for 10 years. He is owed. And she's like, you're owed nothing. You've indulged yourself with everything, you know, with all the fine food and wine and whatever. And he says, he's like, whatever. And she says, very well, I command you, you know, because as, as you're whatever, your princess, and he's not happy. 
because you know he just he wants to go off and uh, be natural, be himself or whatever. Le- Lena talks her daughter who she has an egg by the fire. She's like holding it. You know, she's hoping her egg hatches. I guess the eggs don't always hatch. That's the, how it works. And the mom says that, you know, it's been eight years that they don't always hatch. And she's like really hoping that, you know, if this egg hatches and she has a dragon, like the rest of her family, then she goes to talk to Damon. She got word from her brother. He had another son. And she says that, you know, she misses her brother and asks if, if he ever longs for home. And Damon's like, Nope. And, you know, but she knows that that's not the case, that he's obviously thinking about having the throne and everything. Rainier is, sits and she listens to the council the, and the, the queens are, you know, they're all talking business about different things. They talk about like the stepstones. Damon has left it unguarded and Rainier is like, we have left it unguarded because, you know, as whatever rulers of this, even though he is supposed to be watching over because he's not, they should step up and, and do something. And Allison is getting mad because she she keeps like arguing. And, you know, when Rainier says something, she's like, of course, you know, whatever. So Rainier, they're about to leave, the, you know, the, whatever, adjourn. And she says she wants to talk to, she wants to say something. So she wants to talk to Allison in front of, you know, everyone about the strife. You know, they are separate, but they are one family before they were friends. So she, she suggests that they betroth her son to Allison's daughter and, you know, ally themselves once and for all, let them rule together. The king likes this idea. Um, Allison doesn't say anything. Rainier adds that if they get another load of dragon eggs, her son Eamon would get his choice of them. Then Allison just like says her name or something like that. And she like whatever motions down because uh, Rainier is started lactating so you know she's like leaking it through her dress so then the king um says oh a dragon's egg is a handsome gift and allison says that they both thank her for her offer and they will consider it duly and the king must rest now so allison's you know she's talking she's like oh she's desperate and he's like oh she's being sincere and she's like she says that he can do as he wishes when she is cold and in her grave so she's really starting to assert herself over these past 10 years or longer because they've been married for more than 10 years, obviously. Lionel comes in for, for something in the, in the king's room. He, he says he wants to resign. The episode at the yard with his son, you know, Harwin, it embarrassed them and everyone in King's Landing will be talking about it. The king says, well, Harwin's been banished from the city. That's good enough. Lionel's like, it's not. He's like, I cannot serve with integrity. The king's like, well, what is this disgrace he talks about? Lionel's like, well, I cannot say because, you know, he can't say that his son got the princess, you know, pregnant. And the king, you know, since Lionel can't say anything, the king's like, well, then I cannot accept your resignation. And, you know, Allison was there too, and she was like kind of getting excited or like what I think she wanted Rainier's transgressions admitted by the king, and he still won't acknowledge it. So she's like ticked off and she like walks off and, you know, the king's like, aren't you going to help me? Because, you know, she, she was like putting pillows behind his back on the, the chair or whatever, but she just like leaves. So Allison storms off. Then she goes to Lord Larry's, the, the, the guy that she started talking to the last episode we saw that he's very scheming about everything. Um, and they have this dinner. It turns out, which, and this is a thing, this is what bothers me. It's like, as, as we're watching it, it turns out that Lionel is his dad too. I totally missed that. I, I, maybe there was something in exchange when we first saw him, but 
I, I totally missed it. So Larry says that his father can't serve and give impartial advice to the king after all this. So Larry goes down to the jail. He talks about giving uh, mercy, uh, you know, if, if they are to pay a price or something like that, to the three people. So he, he takes three. They're going to have their cons, tongues cut off. So basically they can get out of jail if they do something for him. And part of the price is their tongues, which is was nasty. Uh, Lena is giving birth, and then uh oh, the, the child won't come. It's you know she's like trying to push and push it, just it won't come out. So like the the doctor dude's like whatever talking to Damon is like you know could they use a blade? And he's like well there's no telling if the child would survive. Then Damon's like well would the mother survive? And he's like no. And then Damon just kind of like looks over at, at her. Then it's like weird. Like I, I'm like, how did this happen? Lane is like walking. She like walks outside to her dragon. It's like, wait, she, wasn't she just in this room full of people? Did they like not see her leave? So she goes up to her dragon and she commands it. You know, she's she's talking to it in dragon speak or whatever. And I think it, it, she's. I'm pretty sure she said the same command that when the kids were training with the goat that she's commanding it to burn her, but the dragon knows it can't do that it's like hesitating but she's commanding it it's just like staring at her damon walks out he's like oh what are you doing whatever you know he he finally comes out she's out there for like five minutes or something like that he comes out just in time to see her get torched so her dragon he had it followed its orders and it, it killed her harwin says goodbye to the kids you know baby joffrey and and rainier uh, the, then the kid asks his mom he's like is he my father am i a bastard and she's like, you are a Targaryen. That's what matters. Rhaenyra goes to talk to Laenor, who's like sword fighting, whatever. She says that, you know, they're through here, that they're leaving. So she made it, you know, she's been made a spectacle. They're whispering about her. They should have left years ago. So I guess they're going to Dragonstone, the other castle place, whatever. And he's like, well, what about your position? You know, uh, the, the, the queen will be pouring honey in the king's ear or whatever. Then she says to... She's like, bring him, Quarrel. She's like, we'll need all the force that we can muster. So she's going to be like, I guess, forming her own little, you know, regiment or whatever. So then we see some dudes right up to a castle and they have like this hornet pin. So I'm like, who is this? And then there's like a fire in the night. Harwin is like stuck in this room and then like basically the roof collapses on him. So then I'm like, oh, these are the dudes that, that Larry's got from the prison. So he had them freed from jail had their tongues cut off so they can't talk about who freed them or whatever. And he tells them to go burn this place where Harwin was. Okay. And it's like, dude, that's your, your brother and your dad. Uh, so then Allison gets word from Larry's they're dead. And she, she asks if, you know, do you pass judgment? And he says, the queen makes a wish. What servant would not fulfill it? So he says that, she can write her father now. She's like, I didn't want this. And he's, he says that he's certain she will reward him when the time is right. So basically, he figured that, you know, because she, she talked about missing her dad and wishing her dad was there or whatever as, you know, the, the king's right hand. So Larry has his dad, who is the right hand, the hand, and his brother killed because supposedly that's what she wanted. So this guy... He's a uh, he's kind of uh, yeah. You got to watch out for this guy. He's very scheming and uh, evil, crazy. I don't know. 
But I don't know how I feel about these new actors and the fact that now we have all these new characters, new kids, and it's just like, ugh. But supposedly they have a plan. You know, they they want to cover generations or whatever. I don't know. But it's like, can't you slow down a little? (laughs) Then The Patient, season one, episode six, Charlie. I have to say, I didn't love this episode as much as, as the other ones. I mean, there, there's some, it, it, I guess it feels like not, a, it doesn't progress a whole lot. So last week was crazy because, you know, Sam killed this dude, killed Elias in front of Alan. You know, Alan's stuck there. You know, he's supposed to be his therapist trying to cure him, fix him. But then he ends up losing it and kills the guy right there. So Sam comes home. And then mom so she says that she's at her wit's end. You know, she almost called 911 last night. And he's like, I'm sorry, you know. And then she tells him, she's like, don't give up on therapy. And then she like leaves the room. So Sam has like supplies to deal with the body. Alan's just like lying in, in, the, in the bed with his back to the room. And Sam takes stuff into like the back room where Elias was. And then Alan, you know, so he basically he's had to stay in the room with his body for however long it's taken Sam to get everything. So like overnight, I don't know. So then there's a flashback to Alan talking to this guy, Charlie. He's like, oh, you're back? And he's like, it's an emergency. So it turns out he, he's talking to this therapist, dude, but it's like all in his head because he's really sitting on his bed. So he's, I guess he's like going through the motion, like this is what he's saying and then like speaking for Charlie, which is kind of weird. And Charlie's like, oh, we should talk about Sam. And then, you know, he's like, he just strangled someone in front of him. So he needs a plan, you know, he does think that there's, you know, a conscious somewhere in, in there. So he thinks that Sam can be reached, but he just didn't reach it in time, I guess. So Sam has a shovel. So I guess, you know, he's digging in the back room. Okay. Alan tells Charlie that he has to help him or Sam will strangle him and he'll end up in that grave. He's, you know, he's like, I thought I was connecting with him. So Sam is like digging in the concrete in the room and then Alan's, sitting on the floor and he just like opens a book he's sitting like you know next uh, leaning against the bed he's like listening or thinking or whatever then there's a flashback to a lady asking him how was the funeral so i'm assuming it's for his wife seems like she was a patient like they're in in a room talking but it's like why would she ask him that that seems you wouldn't ask your therapist that i don't know then sam walks out the shovel he's like now i'm one of those guys who buries people in their basement thanks a lot and then he like sighs Alan like keeps his back turned to him, doesn't say anything. Then Sam's like, your turn. So he tells Alan to get up, you know, when he doesn't say anything. Then Alan slowly gets up and Sam tells him to go over by the wall on the other side of the bed. And he's like, don't flip and move. So he undoes the chain and he tells him to walk and he's holding the end of it and the shovel. He's like, keep this distance. So then he chains him in the other, in the back room. He puts like the chain around like a pipe or something like that and like locks it, hands him the shovel. He's like, go ahead. And so he starts shoveling and Sam's like, you know, dig deeper, you know, point down, whatever. He's trying to tell him how to dig deeper or better. And then Sam leaves the room and then Alan hears a truck. So there's more flashback, you know, as he's sitting in a you know, room, you know, he, he was digging, but he's taking a break, whatever. Then he's talking to his dead therapist again. So Charlie, you know, used to be his therapist. He keeps looking at the ceramic water pitcher and Charlie's like, why do you keep looking at that? And Alan's like, well, I fantasize about smashing it over his head. And Charlie's like, why don't you? And Alan's like, well, I don't want to die any sooner than I need to. And Charlie's like, well, that's a pessimistic attitude. And Alan's like, I need a plan. So he says, you know, he, he goes over other things. You know, he's, he's tried whatever. Then he hears a, the truck approaching. So he gets up, goes back into the hole. And it's only like, like up to his shins or whatever. 
Then um, Sam walks in. He asks for the shovel. He tells Alan to move up out of the hole. He unchains him. In the other room, there's like coffee and donuts on, on the table. He redoes the, the chain. He tells him he can sit. And Alan sitting there. He finally reaches for a donut. And then Sam gets up. And he's like, oh, I have to mix the cement. And Alan's like, can you sit a minute? And he's like, I'd like to discuss the possibility of you handling this differently. So he says he's not sure he should um, bury the body. And Sam's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And Alan's like, what you usually do, leave it where it can be found. He's like, that's the most thoughtful thing for the relatives. And Sam's like, I've never brought anyone back to the house before. It's like, they could trace it you know, to me. You know, he was in my truck. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I understand your concern. You know, you're talking about the stuff you see on TV, right? DNA and little pieces of carpet, right? And he's like, yeah. Well, Alan's like, well, I'm no expert, but let's think this through. It's like, they must have found, or there must have been DNA and fibers from your clothing on the other people, but the, the police never traced any of it back to you. He's like, is there any reason that your DNA or fingerprints would be in some sort of database? Like, you know, have you been arrested before? And he's like, no. He's like, but, you know, carpet fibers. He's like, they, they can trace it back to the house. And I was like, well, you know, that's unlikely. You know, it's, it's like 20, 30 years old. He's like, you know, I want to help, but you have to want it. He's like, I can't cure you like an exorcism. So then Alan gets up and he asks Sam to come by the body. He's like, why? He's just like, just, just do it. So he tells Sam to take off the blindfold. He's like, they need to see his face. So Sam starts he's on by the duct tape he's like hard to peel and everything so he finally has to get scissors like, like cut it and peel it off and it's like you know pulling at the skin and everything like that then finally like alan closes his eyes he's like oh maybe this wasn't such a good idea because you know he he sees his face then sam's like why did you want me to do this and alan asks him he's like if he has feelings of his own uh you know he's like he was a person who had feelings of his own to struggle with so he's like i want you to see that this is not just some guy who offended you you know, Elias was a human being who had a mother and a father who care about him just like your mother cares about you. He's like, and they're going to miss him. He says that, you know, there are ways to deal with things, he, you know, the way that things are laid out. And he, he mentions like, you know, the Jewish have certain ways, you know, bodies important to have and stuff like that. So most importantly, he thinks Sam should consider Elias and his family and, and what they need, that that would be something new for Sam. So they need to develop his skills of empathy. So that means putting himself in someone else's shoes. Sam's like, yeah, that sounds good. He's like, yeah, I'll leave the body where it can be found for the family. Then he says that Alan's going to have to help him fill in the hole. Then he goes into the other room to urinate forever. So Alan rushes and writes a note, which this note is like Sam Rest Insp, I-N-S-P. So it's supposed to say Sam Restaurant Inspector. Then it's like Sash as Dad Loves You. So this was Sashana and Ezra. And then he, so he takes this note and he shoves it in Elias' mouth, like hoping that when the body is found, they'll find this note. Uh, so he's like trying to shove it in there or whatever. Then he, he goes back and sits down and then he notices his hands have ink on it. So he must have like, I don't know what he broke the pen or something like that. And then he's like, what can he do? So he's like just trying to hide his hands. Sam comes out and he looks at him. He's like, something going on with you? And Alan's like, well, there's a lot going on. And he's like, thank you for asking. Then Sam gets an old blanket, wraps up Elias, uses it to drag him out. And you can see Alan's like looking because the face is kind of dragging against like the, the gravel, like outside the, the patio door. So he's probably wondering, is like, is a note going to fall out? Is it in far enough? And then he has a flashback to Beth singing at a service. And then that's how the episode ends. So it's like, 
there wasn't a whole lot that happened. I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. I, mean, I think maybe just because the last episode was just such a shocker and everything. And it's like, maybe he's making progress, you know, getting the body out of there so it can be found. And may, this could help Alan get, you know, trace, it could trace back or whatever to, so he can get free. But yeah, it was just, it was just, it felt like it just, it went by really quickly. And yeah, but I'm still enjoying the show. So, you know, we're, I forget, is there 10 episodes? I feel like there's 10. So we're like over halfway. So we'll see. We'll see. I have no idea what's what. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just, I'm digging it. All right. Now, She-Hulk season one, episode eight, The Retreat. How was this episode? It, it, it was good on um, on a certain level. You know, there there's a, a, a lot of good character development, a lot of good insider, just like self-reflection which is good because, you know, we don't have to have, you know, you have a character like, you know, She-Hulk, you have a Hulk character and it's all about like, oh, Hulk smash and strength and, and this and like that. So it's, it's kind of good to really not necessarily psychoanalyze the character, but it, it's good to for her to just, just to self a lot of self-reflection that, that happened here. All right. So what is going on? And then, um, you know, as far as uh, before I get into what it was about, that, you know, there is you could say there are some cameos. Uh, no, no, really big. I'm, I'm waiting for Daredevil. You know, it, it's un- unfortunately, I'm pretty sure Daredevil is only in one episode because I believe Charlie Cox said that, which I wish he didn't say that. But yeah, I guess it keeps us in su- suspense. But I, that also makes me feel like is, is it just going to be like the last episode, or you know, wh- what's going to happen? So no um, spoiler, no no Daredevil this week, and I'm just like, when when are we going to see him? When are we going to see him? Anyways, uh, we don't have any major spo- uh, cameos, but we do get some other appearance, other characters from the Marvel universe, which is interesting and it's it's fun to see. Cause, you know, if you if you think about like what we we had Mister Immortal last week, wasn't expecting that. And I'm not super crazy about the portrayal, but it was really cool to see. I, I don't think we would ever get anything else. I don't think we should. We could. But anyways, let's get into this week. So it starts off. Jen gets out of shower. She has a date with Josh, the guy that she met at the wedding, as herself, as Jen. And he seemed to be really into her. So, you know, she gets ready. He's going to pick her up at 7. They go out. They return to her place. And then there's like this kind of like an awkward like handshake hug moment, whatever like that. Then um, uh, next day, assuming it's the next day, She-Hulk is in a meeting. She's texting Josh on her table. You know, it's like very fun, like friendly, but, you know, whatever. Just going back and forth. Have another date, then another date. This time, uh, you know, she pulls him inside at the end of the day. You know, he drops her off and, and they go inside. So then now it's Friday. It's morning. She wakes up. He's gone. You know, you can see like the covers are pulled back because he, he stayed the night. Then she, she texts him and she texts him again. And like she doesn't hear back. Goes to work. She's nominated for female lawyer of the year or something like that. But she's distracted. You know, cause she keeps checking her phone to see if Josh texts back. Then it's Saturday. She you know, she's having breakfast and she's just like staring at her phone. Does some yoga. Her phone's like right there. She's watching the Muppets. I don't know. I don't remember which Muppets. Like Miss Piggy, whatever. Anyways, she checks her phone. Then she's lying in bed. There's a chime. It's not Josh. It's not a text from him. So then Sunday, her phone rings. So she gets it, but it's Chuck Donlin. He's Emil Emil Blonsky, the abomination, his parole officer. So they got a malfunction alert on his inhibitor. 
so he's kind of concerned he's going to have to go up to his ranch and he was hoping that she'd meet him up there just in case he decided to turn into abomination. So he's like, I don't know if you have any other plans. She doesn't have any plans. So she's like, okay, I'll meet you there. So she's driving. She's checking her phone. She's singing. She's singing mbop, whatever. She pulls up to Summer Twilights just as like Chuck enters the code to the gate. And it's funny. He like hits it. The gate starts to open just as she pulls up. She just like zips past him. He's like, oh, wait, wait for me, whatever. And so they, they get up to like the, the house or whatever like that. She, she gets out of the car and she starts honking a horn. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, you know, he's like, he's worried that if it's abomination, you know, they should be a little stealthier maybe like that. And he's like, you know, maybe you should uh, put on your green suit. And she's like, green suit. He's like, well, I don't know what, what you call it or whatever. And she's like, Hulk out. or So she's like, okay. So she, she turns into She-Hulk. It turns out it was just a malfunction because like Blonsky, you know, he's sitting on a chair. Chuck's like checking out his thing. And, you know, Hulk's, She-Hulk's just, like, standing back, just, like, standing there, barely fitting in, in like, the, the enclosed porch where they're sitting. And Chuck's like, oh, did you, like, jostle it or something like that? And Emil's like, is like no. He's like, but I, I did get a, a jolt from an electric fence. He's like, but it was worth it because my favorite chicken, Princess Silkfeather, was stuck. So, so with Emil, it's hard to tell, you know, when you're watching at this point, it's like, is he up to something or is he legit? You know, the whole time when she was defending him and he's, it's like, okay, when's he going to like, you know, like reveal that he's, he's really up to something. So Chuck is recalibrating it and everything's set. And then he like, he takes off right away. And Emil's like, oh, he's always in such a hurry to leave. And Jen says like, well, you know, he thought he might be facing abomination. And he's like, well, what about you? And she's like, well, you know, you worked really hard to get out of prison, so it'd be dumb to try to go back. And he's like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then she checks her phone. <laughs> so she's about to leave when these two guys come out, like, fighting. And one's, like, in a mask of sword. The other has, like, this, like, horns or something like that, like a pig pig or something, you know, pig head. And one guy gets, like, slammed on, on her car in her hood, and she's not happy. She hulks out. She grabs the, the guy with the horns, like, slams him on the ground. And the male's like, whoa, it's like, this is just two, two men, you know, working through their resentments. So the horn guy's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's, you know, it's, it's totally my fault or like that. And then Jen's like, well, apologize to my Prius Prime with money. So he's like, oh, yeah, Brother Blonsky has taught me to take responsibility for my anger. And he drew, introduces himself. So this is Manbull, who was in the She-Hulk comic. So that, that right there is, like, really cool. And he's like, weird lab accident, don't ask. The other guy introduces himself as Al Agui, Aguila. And, you know, he's got so he's got, like, this red mask. And, you know, he's got like a sword and everything like that. And he's like, before you make assumptions, no, I'm not a matador. And so it turns out like they're dealing with their identity issues and like that. El Aguila says that he is a swashbuckler, you know, he, and then the guy's like, yeah, you say it like it's a profession. And he's like, that's not a profession, you know, using swords, like, unless you're like a matador or whatever. And he's like, well, I was a matador for a week in college or something like that. Anyways, Jen's like, this is so much unnecessary backstory for someone whose car they just destroyed. She's like, how am I supposed to go home? And Blonsky is like, well, you know, sometimes life presents a teacher when there's a lesson to be learned. Think of this totally knackered Prius Prime as your teacher. And she's like, you said nothing. Nothing in response to a very straightforward question. So Emil asks Manbull if he can help push the car to the garage. He's like, I'm not a mechanic. He's like, my name is Manbull, not Mechanic Bull. And Aguila's like, how long have you been waiting, you know, to use that one? And Jen's like, yeah, that sounded forced. And he's like, you too? So there's a lot of little bickering. And it's, it's funnier if you watch it than me trying to repeat it. 
So Jen and Emil are walking, and he says, he's like, oh, this is fantastic news that the tow truck, you know, won't get here until later. And she's like, how is that fantastic? And, you know, so she can spend more time there. She can relax. And, you know, she discovers there's no phone reception here. And then, you know, they, they get by this place, a ceremonial sweat yurt. So Emil's like, you know, past and present are mixed into one. So you like have visions, whatever. And she's like, no, she's like, I'm not sweating. She's like, I have work to do. So if you could give me a desk and some Wi-Fi, and he's like, well, we don't really carry it. It's, it's a distraction from the outside and all that. So she's like, okay, no reception, no internet. Great. And, you know, she keeps holding her phone up, trying to get a signal. He's like, well, I'll leave you since you're not in a teachable mood. So he's like, walks off. She's like, look, and, you know, she, he's gone when she turns around because she's just like focused on her phone trying to get a signal. So she's still walking around. And it's, it's kind of nice the way they, they did it. As she's walking, there's like a like no service, like pop up like around her phone that we're seeing as she walks around. She comes across this, this other building. There's still no service. She goes in all of a sudden. Ding! And she's like, yes. And there's a group going at group session going in. So Emil, he's like, Oh, you know, Aguila and, and Manbull. He's like, this is porcupine. <laughs> so porcupine is actually, which is funny. This guy in a big porcupine suit. And he's like, and this is Saracen who thinks he's a vampire. <laughs> but I like how he says who thinks he's a vampire. That, that, that he is. But, so is he Emil mentions uh, like vulnerability and, you know, He's trying to tell you know Porcupine maybe you should take his suit off today. He's like, no, no, it's it's fine, whatever. Then this other guy comes in loudly. He's like, woo! He's like, I totally lost tr- lost track of time in the yurt. And Jen recognized. She's like, that guy's here. And she like looks at us. She's like, you probably don't even remember who he is. And she's like, tell me they previously on him, you know, at the beginning. She's like, well, I don't care. We're doing that again. So it turns out it's the guy who attacked her, like with the wrecking crew. So this is the wrecker. He's like, oh, if you're going to sort around showing off your powers, you better be able to pack it up. He sees Jen and he's like, oh, hey. And Jen like changes into She-Hulk. She crosses the room. She grabs him by his shirt. And Emil's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And she's just like, toss him in the corner like a stack of folding chairs. And Manbull's like, come on, I stacked those. And She-Hulk's like, this a-hole and his friends attacked me behind my apartment. So Emil's like, he tells her, he's like, I'm going to need you to sit in the calming chair right now. And everyone's like, ooh, the chair. So she's then she's like, fine. And she's like, as soon as I get up, I'm tearing this guy to shreds. Emil's like, hold on. He's like, that's not how we work through our issues around here. And Wrecker says, so like, I'd love to work through our issues if you'd let me. So Wrecker says that, you know, he looked in the mirror. So he realized he didn't need a magic crowbar to define his strength. You know, it just made him act like a jerk and like, you know, him and his friends. And they act almost like supervillains. And, and she looks like you rolled up and you attacked a woman. And it was like four to one. It's like you definitely were supervillains. And he's like, I hear you and I completely, you know, I understand and I apologize for my actions. And she's like, oh my God, it seems like a breakthrough. Oh, he's very sorry. And someone's like, sarcasm. <laughs> so they say that, you know, they're all talking about their stuff, like maybe she should share. And Emil so he's like, oh yeah, you seem to be glued to that, to her phone. And she's like, then she finally mentions Josh. You know, they met at a wedding, they went on some dates. And then they, Emmanuel's like, made love. And she's like, first off, ew. She's like, no, we, we slept together. <laughs> and then they're like, what was the last thing you, you texted? And she's like, she looks at her phone. She's like, that was fun. I can't stop smiling. And they're all like, ugh. And Porcupine says, like, it's like, that is thirsty and a cliche. She's like, you're thirsty and a cliche. <laughs> a classic comeback. Aguila's like, bottom line, you said game on. And he didn't res- respond. Then she's like, okay, okay, that wasn't exactly the last thing I texted. 
she says that because she hadn't heard from him so long, she didn't know if he was lying in a ditch somewhere. So she texted, hey, getting a little worried, just want to know you're okay. And they're like, Ugh. and she's like blushing, smiling emoji. And then they're they all grown again. So Manbull's like, oh, that's a real bad look. And she's like, yeah, I, I realize that. It's like, I don't need you to point that out. That's what my mom's for. So Rucker's like, uh, maybe we have to consider the very real possibility that you were ghosted. And Saracen's like, it's like, oh, he wanted her blood. <laughs> and so she hulks, she's like, she seems like sad. You know, she's really bummed. You know, just thinking about that. And she says that, you know, he liked her as Jen. He specifically didn't ask about She-Hulk. And she mentions, like, you know how I was in like, high school? You have that friend that's, like, cooler than you are, more attractive or athletic. They get all the attention from everyone. And then she, like, motions herself, hello. She says that you'd think life would be so much easier as that person. And, you know, she can turn into that person anytime she wants. Everyone, you know, pays attention when she's like this, you know, at work or whatever. And she, she says, that, but it feels like cheating. It's like, you know, would they like her, you know, or would the guys like her if, you know, she didn't have all this? You know, some of the guys don't stick around for Jen. And she's like, that sucks for Jen because Jen is great. And, you know, she's like, I just met this guy who liked Jen and that felt good. And then he ghosts me and it sucks. And there's a little bit of silence and Porcupine's finally like, all right, screw this guy. Where does he live? And Manbull's like, yeah, let's kill him. He's got to die. And Emil's like, tries calling him again. And Aguila is like, he's like, no, Manbull is correct. Josh has made an enemy of this entire group. He's like, tonight, pulls out his sword and is like, Zzz. there's like electricity on it. He's like, tonight we ride. And Manbull's like, that's awesome. And uh, Emil says, he's like, hey, you've been warned about using bioelectricity in group before. So Saracen says, like, we should find this Josh guy and suck out all his blood. And Wrecker's like, guys, he's like, Jen is hurting and all we can offer is violence. And Emil asks, he's like, can anyone speak to Jen's pain with the tools that we've learned in this group? Porcupine says, uh, you can't control what other people do. Aguila says, it hurts when someone rejects us because it reminds us of the times we reject ourselves. And Wrecker says, like, maybe this Josh thing hurts so much because she hasn't been spending enough time with Jen. And Saracen says, and that's a shame because I bet Jen is pretty damn great and tasty. He's like, damn, damn. It's like I went off, off, off the rails. So then Manbull's like, maybe, just maybe, this Josh guy isn't the only guy who likes Jen Walters. He's like, maybe there's a group of guys right here who would love to spend time with Jen right now. Emil asks Jen, he's like, do you believe this group genuinely values the whole of you? And then she's like, I, I do. So Wrecker says, he's like, well, maybe you can stop using She-Hulk as a protective shield and trust us with Jen. So at this point, it's just like, okay, can we, can we trust Emil? Can we trust these guys? Why is Wrecker there? Wrecker who tried attacking her and tried taking her blood. Is this all, all some sort of scheme to get her to turn into Jen and then they can grab her, do something? So she, she thinks she changes back and they applaud and she's it's like, I have to say, that felt really good. Then Porcupine is like, oh, yeah. He, so he takes off his mask. And then they start gagging. Smells like a fart. His, his faith is filthy. And they're like, how many hours a day have you been wearing that mask, Papa? <laughs> so Aguila says that. So Wrecker's like, if Josh isn't spending time on Jen, maybe Jen shouldn't be spending time on Josh. So they're like, delete him, delete him, delete him. Delete. So they want him to delete the number. She's like, uh, so she doesn't want to, but then she does. So then she's like, you know what? She's like, I'm really hurting for a yurtin. So she goes to the sweat thing. They're all standing outside waiting or like that. She comes out and then 
thumbs up and they're all like cheering so now her car is ready to be towed it's like on a flatbed and she's like i'll never forget you guys you know thanks for this whatever they're like we made you a card and it's like you know we'll miss you jen they signed it <laughs> and was, oh, no, we'll miss jen and she hooked they wrote so then emil's you know talking to her he's like he says something else and then she he's like come back anytime and she's like yeah not until you get wi-fi <laughs> So then she, she's in the, the the cab of the tow truck. They drive off, going off, and you just, I, I I don't think she looked at her phone, but then they just like kind of drive off. Then it cuts to three days earlier. So we see them back from the date. She pulls him in. It's nighttime. Then in the middle of the night, he gets up, gets dressed, puts his phone on top of hers, and it's like copying phone. So he's like cloning her phone, and then he takes a picture of her sleeping. He sends a text. The text is from Hulk King. So he's that guy in the computer, the Hulk King, whatever. And he texted emojis, a needle, a green vial, thumbs up. So he got her blood. And that's the end. No mid-credit scene, nothing else. This is not good for, for Jen. So the thing is, he, he didn't care about Jen, which, again, that sucks. It does suck. Oh, man. No daredevil. <laughs> So who's in this intelligentsia? I, I saw someone mentioning that they think that Mallory Book is in, in intelligentsia. That's why she told Nikki not to say anything to Jen. I don't believe that. I hope not because that's like a big departure from the comics. You know, Jen is always, or Mallory's always been kind of cold and and not really super keen on you know She Hulk's abilities or powers, and she's just like kind of no nonsense. I mean, she's back in the current comic. So if they made her part of intelligentsia, that they didn't want her to get ahead, I wouldn't. That wouldn't like that. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but th that was good. So I, I'm glad that for some reason I was thinking like this was only six seasons. So I'm so glad it's not. All right. Cobra Kai. <laughs> How long has Cobra Kai been out? How long has season five been out? I, I think as much as I hate the idea of doing this, but just for my um, convenience, I, I'm only doing two more episodes. I thought I was going to do four i thought i was going to do seven eight nine and ten i just i haven't had time it's, it's just there's there's too much going on too, too many shows too many comics too much work you know teaching and doing conferences this week parent conferences i i hope that this is okay that, that you don't mind prolong and and this is why i i feel like with with this i'm giving you know coverage attention to cobra kai longer versus just one week boom and then you forget about it so at least it's it's lasting longer so you can just enjoy it, take it in and i really like where i stop because then it, it almost feels like this big cliffhanger like whoa the show the seasons like have brought to go in a new direction and this is like this perfect cliffhanger ending moment and then things are going to change in the next episode so i really like how they're handling this and i really think that this show would benefit from the weekly you know format that where you get that and then you have to wait you know think about it talk about it so we'll just do that i promise next week we'll be done with it all right so season five episode seven bad eggs Everyone is, is all about Cobra Kai in the Valley. People in the street are wearing shirts. There's like sponsored ads on Instagram, you know, that the, uh, Sam sees and everything. Carmen uh, gets this like advert in the, in the mail about Cobra Kai. Soon, you know, everything that they fought for will be forgotten. And we see like Kenny and the Cobra Kai kids, they, because like Anthony's walking down the street, he's like, try to give him a shirt. And he's like, no thanks. But then Kenny's there and Kyler and some other kids. So they grab him. They, 
force him into like a bathroom and, and they're about to like shove his head into like a nasty toilet. So it's like, here's the thing, you know, Kenny, yeah, he was, he was bullied by Anthony, but it's like, how long I feel like Kenny's reverse bullying revenge has been going on way longer, but whatever. So Daniel, Amanda, Johnny, and Chosen, they're mapping out all the location openings. They have like this war strategy thing. You know, they have like little flags on this map or whatever. Johnny's like, they need to find skeletons in the closet. Daniel's like, yeah, we already tried that and it didn't work. Amanda's like, well, there is someone who knows silver best. And Daniel and Johnny are like, don't even say it. And she's like, well, you know, to beat a monster, we need a monster. So Johnny's like, Crease is locked up. At Miyagi-Do, the kids are all there. Miguel is talking to Dimitri and Hawk. And then Robbie shows up and Miguel says that, you know, he's like, oh, it's okay. You know, he wants exactly what we want, you know, because they're like, why is he here and everything? So Chosen's going to train them today. So they each get an egg. And he's talking about like these birds, rare birds, whatever like that. So basically they have to protect the, the egg from him. Then Devin is training next to Tori. And she's like, why are we training? Like, we're about to fight. But Tori doesn't say anything because, you know, she knows something's going on. Then Devin's like, why are you acting like you don't want me here? And Tori's like, because it's dangerous. He's like, you know, you shouldn't be here. And Devin's like, oh, are you scared of a little competition? So now, you know, you're starting to feel bad for Tori. You know, she's done some bad things, but she she feels bad. And um, oh, I, almost, I almost jumped ahead. I was like, and she even did this, but that hasn't happened yet. So that's about to, so hang on. Terry and Kim are, are watching the students on security cameras, which is a little creepy. She says that they need leaders, and, and he mentions Tori. And Kim's like, well, they, we need to figure out who else can rise to the occasion. Johnny and Daniel go to visit Crease. Daniel says that he almost feels sorry for him, you know, an old man in a place like this. But then they see, like, that big prison dude. He's like, do you need anything else? you need a soda, sensei? So Chris says that he's like, he looks at Danny. He's like, I don't want to talk to you. And Johnny's like, well, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> so Johnny thinks that, you know, he doesn't know anything because he's locked up in there. And he says that he knows exactly what Silver is planning. But if they think that he's going to help them, that they don't know jack poop. Robbie talks to Sam and, and, and Anthony. Hawk comments to Miguel. He's like, oh, he's trying to move in on her. And Miguel's like, it's like, now nah. it's like me and Robbie are cool now. And he's like, I'm sure they're just catching up. So it's time for the, the egg thing. Uh, Dimitri tells Hawk and Miguel that he made a protective covering. He, he like, you know, he shows it. And then he like sets it on a post and Chosen throws like a blade that pierces it and like yolk spills out. And then Hawk and Miguel run. So the, again, the idea is Chosen's going to try to smash their eggs. They need to protect it. Silver is talking to the dojo, says the world is made up of two kinds of people, leaders and followers. The world needs both. So they're going to be split into pairs. And they're going to have to fight a sensei. So one person will be the leader, the other will be the follower. Kree says, you know, at, at the jail, he's like, you know, why should he tell them anything? You know, they failed even after he gave them a lead. And he's talking, you know, the newspaper clipping. Daniel's like, oh, who helped you get that to my house? And he's like, well, I have my ways. So Daniel says, yeah, and it led me into a trap. And Silver, he's like, you know, Silver blindsided him. Kree's like, well, that wasn't part of the plan, but it was a nice consolation prize. Johnny says that, you know, they should just leave him in here where he belongs. But Chris is like, I'm innocent. He's like, I'm only here because Silver was tight with the DA and I couldn't afford a real attorney. Daniel's like, well, what if we help? He's like, I can get you a, a lawyer. And, you know, because he says, I want a real one. And then he's like, okay, deal. Chosen is, is taking everyone out. Robbie later asks Hawk, you know, how he got taken out. And Hawk's just like, oh, shut up. 
because you know he doesn't want to talk to him. Robbie's like, if it's about the mohawk, I'm sorry, because they, they cut off his hair or whatever his mohawk. And he's like, if anyone knows about Cobra Kai turning you into an a hole, it's you. And Hawk's like, oh, so I'm an a hole. And he's like, yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, you attack me and Sam at the mall. You broke Dimitri's arm. You trashed this entire dojo. And then Dimitri's like, enough. He's like, there's a madman out there using weapons against us. He's like, we just need to stop this. Get over this. So, you know, Robbie does have a point. Hawk has done some jerky things, too. Sam and Miguel are the last ones, of course. They're, like, inside, like, the, the dojo. Miguel starts talking to Sam. It's like, uh, this isn't the time, whatever. And then uh, he chosen knocks Miguel down. And, you know, his egg smash. He has his eggs in his pocket. So then Sam's, like, ready to fight with her because she put hers in a backpack. And he's like, you mean this? And then she looks in her backpack, and it's not there. So they're all done. Kenny and uh, Kyler were paired. So Kenny is getting mad at being a punching bag. Silver sends, you know, tells him to go in his office because, you know, Kenny's like just he keeps getting hit because Kyler's like, okay, do this, go this way. And it's so stupid because he's they're barking orders like, okay, take go on, go to his right. The dude can hear him unless he doesn't speak English. I don't know. So Kenny's upset. Silver says, you know, go to his office. And then so they're they're talking. He's like, your father's in the army, right? And he's like, so you know, then you you know you followed your brother until he went to juvie, then Robbie, and then Kyler. Wait, is like Silver's trying to get Kenny to be the leader, which is dumb. I it really bothers me how quickly Kenny became like a karate expert. It's like maybe they're just really really good teachers. I don't know. Crease and, and Johnny talk while Daniel's wait, he's on the phone talking to a lawyer or something like that. Crease uh, says ending Cobra Kai doesn't have to be the way. Everything he did was for him. You know, Johnny just wants to erase everything, even his memory and all that. So then Daniel, he has a, a number for a lawyer. You see it's on a piece of paper. But Crease has to talk first. Chosen is talking to all the kids that they'll get taken down one by one by snakes. They have to try again. Then Anthony's like, you know, we were taken down one by one. What if we weren't a bunch of ones? What if we were, and Sam's like, together. And Chosen like hears this, and he's got a smile on his face. So they decide to put all their eggs in one baskets, literally, and you know they're like up on on the, on the stage. So he uh, charges at them with a bow staff. He, uh, he's like fighting; they're moving and everything like that, and they're all he's trying to go on all sides and stuff like that. He finally concedes because they're all like moving as one. At Cobra Kai, Kim is like beating everyone up. Devin wants to try again, you know. Cause so Tori and Devin get up and they do better, but Devin goes down and Kim is about to smash her. And then Tori comes in and she gets knocked down trying to, to block. And Kim's like, you should have sacrificed your pawn and you would have scored a point. But Tori's like, there are no points in the real world. And Kim says, but there are in this exercise. So you lose. And then Devin tells Tori, he's like, you could have just let her you know, get me. And Tori's like, then I wouldn't have been a very good leader if I did. So see, Tori's not that bad. Kenny and Tyler go, or Kyler, not Tyler. Kenny and Kyler, that name. Um, Kyler gives an order, and Kenny's like, no. Then he's like, what? He tells him, he's like, go to his left or whatever, or something like that. And then he like shoves Kyler. So then they start fighting. Then the sensei's like, enough. You know, he goes to break it up. But then Kenny shoves Kyler into him. He jumps over like on Kyler's back, whatever, and kicks the sensei. He's like, point. Kenny. <laughs> 
Kree says that he remembers when Silver was a skinny little kid loaded with fear, just like Johnny. He talks about Silver, you know, paying for a trip to learn from their master to himself, from Master Kim Sung Young. So we get a flashback, South Korea, 19, it's 1980. It's like, what what year did Karate Kid come out? Because wasn't that like 88 or something like that? And there's no way, because we see young Terry and young Kreese, there's no way he would age that much. It's just, I, I, I'm so confused by that. So they're, they're training. Silver tells Kreese that he bought a dojo for him. He, and he's like, he, he says that he can do better than the Valley, but Kreese told him about this, like, all-Valley tournament, whatever. And he shows in this magazine about the Sakai Takai. It's the top karate tournament in the world. Barely anyone in the States have heard of it. It's like the Super Bowl of karate. And Kreese says that he loves that Silver thinks big, but no, he's like, we're not ready. He's like, maybe someday... He's like, I have this kid. You know, he could be good. He even has the same name as him. So he's talking about Johnny. So then in the present, Kreese tells him that if he wins, you know, Cobra Kai goes global. So he's like, okay, I held up my end of the deal. So he wants that number. So Daniel slides a folded paper over to him. He opens it. It says, no mercy, mofo. And he's like, he asks if, if they think, he's like, you think you can take him down without me? And they're like, yep. And so they leave Kreese in there. Episode 508, Takai. And it feels like a lot happened in this one episode. So this limo pulls up to Cobra Kai. Members of the Sakai Takai, Sakai Takai, or I think that's how you say it. They arrive. Silver says that he has a state-of-the-art dojo. He also has connections to corporate sponsors for broadcasting rights, something that they've struggled with. And there's like this one white dude, who I guess is a spokesperson for the others. Uh, he, he says that that's all great, but it's really about the students. So Silver's like, oh, that's not a problem. He's like, our dojo is the best in the valley. Then you hear, that's not true. So Daniel walks in, and they're like, who are you? Sensei Daniel LaRusso and two-time All-Valley champion. Then Johnny's like, Johnny Lawrence, also two-time champion. Chosen introduces himself as a master sensei. And Amanda, she's like, Amanda LaRusso, karate adjacent. <laughs> so... It's just like they don't represent any other dojo or just not just any other dojo, whatever. They have champions from the past two all valleys. So then the dude says to Silver, it's like, you led us to believe that your dojo had all the titles. And Daniel says, well, honesty isn't exactly Cobra Kai's strong suit. He says that, you know, their dojo is unique. They've combined their different styles to train their students into the best fighters he's ever seen. So then the dude's like, well, they'll have a, a training exhibition to see if either their dojos are worthy of the Sakai Takai. Kim tells Silver that she agreed to train his students under the condition that he would pave the way for her family's teaching to emerge from the shadows. Now his petty rivalry is getting in the way. He's like, there is no rivalry. It's like they're beaten. This is just desperation. Devin's excited about competing. And she's like, oh, do you think we'll be on TV? Like, get a sponsor and go to college. And Tori's just like, whatever. She's like, I haven't even thought about college. The Sakai guys visit both dojos. So at Eagle Fang, um, they're talking to this dude about uh, you know, they're like kicking a watermelon, whatever like that. And he gets a watermelon splattered all over him after Sam kicks it. And then it's just like, oh, crap, this isn't good. And Johnny talks like, well, you know, some people need fancy equipment. Others carry logs up snowy mountains and yell. And the guy's like, Drago. He's like, Rocky Balboa is my hero. He's like, mine too. And started talk talking about Rocky for him. So both dojos are unique. To settle it, they'll each select two fighters, one male, one female, and each will fight tomorrow afternoon in a separate three-point matches. After that, they'll decide which dojo, if any, shall make the world stage. 
So Silver talks his dojo. He tells Tori, looks like you're going to have a rematch against LaRusso because she's the only female you know, with them. He asks Kenny if he's ready to take on whomever they pick as their top fighter. Yes, sensei. So Kenny's going to be their number one, which is just insane. Silver says, uh, he's like, you better be because the fate of, of this dojo rests in your fist. So Tori tells Kreese about the fight. He tells her, he's like, oh, do what's right for you. You know, like you said, winning, you know, gives you new opportunities. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he says, you know, nothing they do will get him out of there. And she says that she's been doing exactly what he said, keeping secret. And now he's just done. He says that he's put her through enough. And so she's angry. She's like, this is what I get for putting my trust into anyone. So she's like, I'm always left picking up the pieces. At the LaRussos, they're having a pizza night, pizza party, whatever. Johnny talks to Robbie, Miguel, and Hawk. He's, you know, Hawk's the current All-Valley champion, but it could have gone either way. Diaz is last year's champ, and that could have gone either way too. And even though Hawk injured Robbie in the, the semis, Hawk didn't have to fight in the semis this year because Diaz booked, booked it to Mexico. <laughs> and I like Miguel's like, he just like nods. He's like, yep. <laughs> so he's like, the point is they're all deserving. Uh, so LaRusso chosen and he are having a hard time deciding maybe they should flip a coin. Hawk's like, but there's three of us. And he's like, I don't know, maybe we flip three coins. And Miguel's like, well, you don't have to. He's like, we've already decided it should be Hawk. And Robbie's like, yeah, you know, he beat me fair and square. Sam is training. At, she's, so they're at the house. Sam's at the, at the dojo. And Daniel's like, that's enough for tonight. So he's like, you know, you're about to surpass your teacher or whatever. And he's like, you know, Tori won't know what hit her. And he's like, and you're missing the pizza party. So she goes and you know, she starts walking to the front. She drops her water bottle and she finds Miguel's, the necklace that he got her that he, he dropped there. Kenny is training after hours too because he says he couldn't sleep. He's like nervous and everything. Silver talks to him. He, then he shows him this move that he learned and he tweaked it. He called it the silver bullet. So you, you kind of put your knuckles out and you hit between the ribs and the chest. He's like, it can cause significant damage and can literally take their breath away. So he goes to the dummy, does this move. He hits it and he even makes like a hole. He like punches a hole into the, the, the fabric of the dummy. And Kenny's like, but you'll already get a point for the chest. Why cause extra damage? And Silver says, because the shortest distance to victory in a fight is to take out your opponent with one shot. So Kenny's like, thinks about that. Then he's like, show me again. Because Kenny's just a little, you know what? So it's fight time. And of course, they're doing at Cobra Kai because Terry has regulation mats and everything like that. So Tori and Sam eye each other. And then she sees Robbie talking to Anthony. Kim tells Tori that, you know, she beat the Larusso girl before, you know, make it quick. Kenny looks at Hawk and he's, he's like, acts all tough and everything like that. Then he sees Robbie talking to Anthony he, and he yells, Keen. He's like, that's some messed up poop. You trained a kid who bullied me. And Robbie's like, I heard you're doing the bullying now. And he's like, he deserves everything that comes to him. And he's like, I don't think you actually believe that. He's like, he says that he knows how things come you know, how, how do you start from nowhere and just get bigger and bigger until all you feel is hate? He's like, I've been there. And he looks at Miguel. He's like, but I'm telling you, it is so much better to just let that hate go. He's like, you know, you might actually get along if you get to know each other. And Kenny's like, he made my life hell. And then he says, you know, Robbie, he's lucky that he's not the one on the mat today. He's like, I guess Hawk will have to do. So it's like, so Kenny thinks that he could take on Robbie? And it's so a stupid idea that he could even take on Hawk. So the dude, 
um, the, the Sakai guy says that they've invited a local referee, so it'll be impartial. Will it really? The boys go first. Kenny moves right away. He's like swings a couple times, misses, but he gets the first point. Hawk does some nice moves and everything, does this nice kick, but the ref says it's out of bounds, no, no point. And they're like, what? And I even rewound it, and it's like he, the kick clearly landed while Kenny was still in bounds. So is this such, such crap? The ref looks over at, at Silver, and Terry sees Silver like nod to him. So they happen to get the same shady ref, and Silver paid him off again. So Kenny, then he gives us an illegal strike. No point. Warning. Daniel's like, warning? He should be disqualified. Then Kenny gets ready to do the silver bullet move. He hits him and hawks down. He's like, he can't breathe. Uh, uh. So a medic has to be called in. The ref's like, that's a forfeit. So then the medic's like, I think you just got the wind knocked out of you. And Kenny's like, looks like you got a new name. Faux Hawk. <laughs> a little dork. So it's time for the girls. Then Kim's like, where's Tori? Or where's Nichols? And Dem's like, she was just here. So she literally disappeared. She'd pulled a Batman. She, she disappeared like a ninja. She was standing right there watching, and all of a sudden she's gone. So she saw like the shady ref, and she's like, I, I can't do this again. So Daniel tells Sam that they're fighting dirty. You know, She doesn't have to do this. And she's like, I know. She's like, I can handle it. So Silver can't find Tori. And Kim asks Devin, she's like, are you ready? She's like, you want me to fight Sam LaRusso? She's like, no, I want you to defeat her. Or are you afraid? So they're fighting. Sam gets a kick. Ref's like, no point. Shoulder. And Miguel's like, what? And, you know, she did here. And then the ref, like, obviously looks over at Terry again. It's like, can you make it anymore? No one picks up on this. Kick, block. Ref's like, point to Lee. And Daniel's like, there was no contact. And so Sam calls a timeout. She's like, she says that she blocked that. And she swears that she got her below the shoulder. Miguel's like, it's like, yeah, you know, you're the better fighter. You know, you have all of us on your side. Chosen's like, the referee's a moron. He's like, so then they're basically like, you must leave no room for error. And, and so basically Dan's like, yeah, make score points so clear that there's no way to, to, to question it. So she kicks out Devin's feet and, you know, it's clear body shot. The ref pauses trying to think of a way out of it. But then he's like, point LaRusso. So it's one to one. So then Devin's like mad, whatever. She rushes in. Sam kicks her to the gut. Point two to one LaRusso. More kicks and blocks. Sam clearly kicks her in the center mass. The ref looks at, at Silver. He has no choice. He has to say, point, winner, LaRusso. Devin hesitates, and then she says you know, to Kim, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And she's like, why are you apologizing? Your leader failed you and your teammates by disappearing. Devin's like, well, I'm sure Tori had good reason. It does not matter. If she's not ready to lead, then I must make sure you are. And then Devin's like, oh, Mia, I'm going to be Mia. No, wrong movie. Sakai, the dudes talk, whatever. So they were impressed with the skill, precision, and discipline of the new Sakai qualifier, Cobra Kai. As for the other dojo, so they're like, oh, man. So this is like the end of the season, right? The other dojo, they admire their unusual mix of styles and underdog spirit. And we think you could be a unique addition to the competition so we have decided that your dojo has also qualified it's like why don't you just say that in the beginning <laughs> so silver's not happy he and daniel lock eyes after some cheering whatever the guy congratulates them and says that they just need their dojo's name johnny looks at the kids from two different colored geese he steps forward and he's like we are miyagi do and then daniel steps forward and we are eagle fang the dude's like uh which is it they say how there are two different philosophies and how they've changed. 
you know, they, they've learned how to adapt and stuff like that. The guy's like, well, I get it, but still, we need a single name to enter. So he's like, you don't have to decide now, but we'll need to answer soon. Why not call it like Miyagi Fang or something? I don't know. Uh, Daniel tells the kids that they have all worked hard, but tonight they celebrate. And Johnny tells Robbie and Miguel that he told Carmen and Rosa that he'd take them to a movie. So they're on their own to celebrate and they can host it at his place or whatever. So they're like, yeah. So they have a kegger at Johnny's, which just doesn't seem like a good idea. But there's lots of other kids there. And this like new girl makes eyes at Miguel. And Sam gets dropped off. She was with an Uber or something like that. And she's got the necklace in her hand. And then she sees Miguel making out with a girl on a couch. And she's like shocked. And and she's like, uh. And then Miguel like sees that she saw. So she runs out. He gets up to like to go after her. But I, I don't know if he, he, maybe he doesn't. So she's in tears. She's like out in the courtyard trying to call like another ride. Then Tori is like, LaRusso. And then Sam tries getting into this fighting stance, but it's very like awkward everything because she's so upset and she's got her phone in her hand. And Tori's like, I'm not here to fight. She's like, I came to talk. And she's like, about what? She's like, you didn't lose the All Valley. Dun, dun, dun. And see that right there, how that's such, such a good uh, cliffhanger. We've got two episodes left. What the heck is going on? Is there any way Tori could join Miyagi-Do? I, would anyone put up with it? I think I think that would be great. I don't know if can Sam get over it. You know, Miguel and Robbie were able to pull aside. Miguel, Robbie crippled. Or Miguel broke his back, kicked them off a second floor landing, and now they're they're okay. So yeah, Sam got cut by her bracelet. So so yeah, we'll see. So next week, I we'll we'll finish this off. All right, then Star Wars Andor, season one, episode four, Aldhan, Aldhan, Aldhani? I, I think that's what it's called. This episode was, was good. It wasn't as exciting as the third episode. Third episode had, had some crazy action. So it's weird how there's this like slow burn with some of these episodes and you know, trying to look at, okay, how is this? This is moving the character development, but it's uh, okay. So it starts off, Andor and Luthen are flying away from the planet. They're, they're headed to Aldhani, and then he kicks into light speed, and Andor's like impressed because he's like, what's this ship powered by? Because I guess it shouldn't be able to do that. It must be modified or something like that. And then Andor asks him, he's like, what's Aldhani? And Luthen tells him, like, well, that depends. And Andor is like, well, I haven't agreed to anything more but to save my skin. And Luthen says it seems that you know he has two choices. He's like, I can drop you off, and you can keep running, or you can come with me and do something important. So Luthen wants to steal something of importance from the Empire, and Andor is like, well, and he's like, thanks, I'll, I'll just I'll take getting dropped off. So Luthen says he's like, I'm offering to give you everything you want, and he's like, oh, okay, you know me so well. What is it I want? He's like, the chance to put a real stick in the eye of the Empire and get paid for it. He said that there's. He talked about different groups going against the Empire. He's like, yeah, they're all the same. He's like, you know, why don't you just survive? And he talks about he fought in a war for two years when he was 16. He was, you know, one of only 50 to survive or something like that. And Luthen's like, oh, yeah, I know about that. He's like, you came in as a cook or something like that. And he's like, you lived because you ran after like six months or I forget what he said or something like that. He's like, wouldn't you want to give your all for something? And he's like, I didn't risk my butt for that star path unit for that tech thing that Andor wanted to sell. He's like, I came for you. So then he's like, okay, what's the offer? 
And Luthen's like five days, big stakes. You have a prep team, good plan. You need to basically survive and deliver, and I'll give you 200000 And Andor is like, what would we be stealing? So he's like the quarterly payroll for an entire imperial sector. At Coruscant, at the capital of the galaxy, at the Imperial Security Bureau, there's this woman, Dedra, this officer, whatever. She's like carrying a briefcase or whatever. It's like, it's like weird that they show her unless we're, we're supposed to focus on her for some reason. Because then there's like this meeting with all these you know officers or moths or whatever. Um, the guy kind of leading it, it's an older dude named Partagaz. Um, they're talking about different things going on. He then, you know, they're kind of kind of bickering a little bit, whatever. Then he's like, what do we do here? He's like, in this building. And Dedra's like, we are here to further security objectives by collecting intelligence, providing useful analysis, and conducting effective covert action, sir. He's like, that is verbatim from the ISB mission statement and wrong. He's like, security is an illusion. You want security? Call the Navy. He's like, and then. So then he moves on to the corporate sector. They tried to serve a warrant and ran into more trouble than they'd anticipated. Several dead, property damage, interruption of service, and it's unknown who was responsible. So that's what happened in the last episode. At Altani, Luthen and, and Andor, they, they land at the bottom like this big green lush valley. Looks so nice. Um, Andor, he sh- shaves his facial hair, and Luthen tells him to think of a name. Andor, Andor's like, Clem. So Luthen says, for the next five days, you'll be Clem. This cloaked woman is coming down like into the valley, and Luthen tells Andor that he'll be working for her. He's like, I thought you were in charge. He's like, I never said that. He, and he's like, you know, she probably won't like this idea and will argue with me. So he's like, you stay in the ship. And you know, as, as he's about to head out, he stops and gives Andor uh, like a this necklace. It's a Kuwadi signet is a down payment. So he's like blue Kyber Skystone. He's like, don't take less than 50,000 for it. He's like, just know it'll always be worth more to me. And he's like, and I want it back when this is over. And Andor scoffs. He's like, if I live, he's like, I want it back. So Luthen goes outside to talk to this lady, Vel. Um, he explains Andor's qualifications and she's not happy. She's like, you're bringing him in now. He's like, we leave in three days. Luthen says that he'll increase the odds of success. And she's like, you know, five months in, and then you just drop in a new member. It's like, it'll bother the team. He's like, well, then it's not much of a team, is it? So he's like, I'm buying you a critical redundancy. And she's like, paying? She's like, no. And he starts like getting stern with her. He's like, you wanted to lead. He's like, you need this to work. Failure would not, would, would be devastating. So he's like, you will do this. So it's like, wow. So then uh, that security dude from before, it turned, his name is Deputy Inspector Karn. I was like, I had no idea what his name was. So Karn and his commander, they're, and the, the guy at the, the council, whatever, they're told that they're to turn in their comm links and everything like that before leaving. So like what, they want to get to the bottom of what happened, like the big fiasco. And the guy goes up to Karn. He's like, are you proud? And he tells him, he's like, well, you can take solace that you won't be replaced. So he's like, you, you know, you've rung the, the final bell in the corporate independence. As of this morning, the Morlana system is under permanent imperial authority. Congratulations on that. So I'm not sure where the Morlana system is. Maybe it's like not a, the nicest place and Karn's going to be like stuck there. Vel tells Andor that they are not to mention Luthen, that you know, this was her idea from the beginning. So Andor finds out that there's also an Imperial garrison that they're, they're taking out too. So he gets mad because he was only told about the payroll. And she's like, well, he's like, how many of us are there? She's like, as now with you, there's seven. So they have to, they're like walking and they, they hear something. They have to duck because like two TIE fighters fly by. 
So the reports from last episode said that there's five dead, one local and four whatever security employees. Dedra finds uh, the part about the unauthorized Imperial tech. She says that that unit and where it must have come from gives them jurisdiction because it was probably stolen from her sector. Luthen's flying elsewhere and he puts on his disguise like a wig, like fancy like purple clothing, like jewelry, and he practices like this pompous smile or whatever. Andor and Val, they have this long hike and they're like just talking about different things. Dedra talks to uh, the security leader dude that whatever talked before to uh, Karn because her assistant was told that he refused to turn over the files from Ferex from what, what the fiasco he tries to dismiss her saying he's like I have work to do and she's like that was an official request made by an officer of my staff so she says that she wants to report he's like it's in my sector and she says an Imperial star path unit was stolen from the steer guard naval yard and found at the scene that gives her jurisdictional access he says you know, you've been here just over a year, right? He's like, you might want to study the ladder before you start climbing. And she's like, I don't want career advice. And he's like, you fall here, you fall alone. She's like, are you denying my request? He's like, for the second time today? Yeah. So she's like, fine, I'll take it up, take it to major part, part of gas. So Val and Andor approach a couple of her guys. One is surprised, you know, because they're looking like they look with binoculars. She's with someone else. And then the others like back at their, their camp are like, confused. They're like, what's she doing? So as they get there, Val tells like, gather up. It's like, this is Clem. And she's like, I didn't mention him before because I wasn't sure that we could get him here on time. He was able to fight his way here. So he'll give us critical redundancy in all areas. So she introduces the other. There's Skeen, Tamarin, Nemec, and Sinta, who's a, a woman. At Hacian Prime, Karn arrives at some place, and then he goes to this like apartment, whatever. He's, he's like, hello, mother. She slaps him, and then she hugs him. So I don't know if she slapped him because he got demoted or embarrassed. or I don't know. So Sinto is supposed to feed Andor and check his arm. So he, she's like, oh, blaster burn, and whatever. Skeen, uh, Tamarin, and, and Nemec are talking to Vel, asking, how do you know him? And she's like, he was highly recommended. And she's like, that's all I'll say. Anything else is a violation of security. And then they're like, well, where'd he come from? He's like, you can't just do this. And you trust him? She's Then she's like, yeah, I trust him. But obviously she doesn't, but she doesn't have a choice. Then the, this woman, Clea, tells Luthen that Senator Mon Matha has arrived and she has a new driver. So she's like in this, you know, space limo, whatever. Uh, Luthen asks, is it anyone they know? And she's like, no. So they come in and she knows Luthen. So he runs a gallery. Like there's like just different artifacts and stuff like that. So she's there for a gift for her husband, Perrin, which I didn't know Mon Matha was married. And so it's like some custom of her people, whatever like that. So he, uh, Luther manages to get Mon Mothra away from the, the, the driver and asks if you know, she plan, is she planning on not delivering, he needs to no. know. And she's like, well, the money's there. It's just getting it, it you know, it's getting very dangerous to move it around. And you know, he's like, well, I have many mouths to feed. He's like, I, you can only forage for so long. And Mon Mothra says that she found someone that she thinks can help her. He's like, who? She's like, to bring in the circle? He's like, no, it's like, we're vulnerable enough. So I wonder if she's talking about Leia maybe? Then this dude comes up on a speeder bike and Sinta's, you know, Andrew's like, who's this now? So she's like, oh, he's with us. And then this dude comes in, he starts yelling. He's like, we have no say in this. And he says that, you know, they're not prepped for this. So she introduces Clem to Lieutenant Gorn. He's their contact at the garrison. 
she asks Gorin what's with all the patrols in the canyon, and he says that there's an Imperial engineer coming from Coruscant, and they're mapping the old trail for him, but they'll, be, they'll stop doing that tomorrow. Mon Manta arrives at her place, and then she finds out that the governor of Hana is coming. There's like some dinner or whatever. And the husband's like, oh, it's on your calendar. It's like, I told you. She's like, I'm looking forward to seeing my old friends. And she like looks at the list. She's like, those people hate me. They spend all day trying to undo everything I, I'm doing. And then she's like, you know, don't seat me by them. And he's like, oh, that's not a problem. I'm, I see you at the boring section. And she's like, oh, we should uh, put them by, I forget what, some like ra- alien race or something like that. So, you know, they cut off the shipping lanes. Do you know how many people will starve now? Perhaps we can all laugh over over it over during the third course so vel is explaining the plan they have like this little like kind of constructed you know model uh she's explaining the layout the tunnels the garrison towers runway whatever there's this vault all this stuff and or is like how we there's this freighter they're like can you drive he's like yeah so they're gonna escape in this freighter and he's like against tie fighters like that's a suicide mission and they say that well you know they they know no one would do this that's why they only have a 40-man garrison and there's also this sacred gathering that's about to happen. People traveling from afar. There's like this meteor event that only lasts like three minutes or I forget how long. Maybe it was less than that. So it happens once every three years. So the sky will be chaos. So they have three days to prep. And Andor just kind of chuckles. He's like, that's our cover. It's like this meteor thing. Dedra and uh, the other dude meet with uh, Partagas. She says that, you know, she's seeing signs of coordinated activity over a number of sectors he then part of gas he's like basically like where's your proof whatever and he's like you know here you know she's like wherever you came with maybe it was different but here we work on vetted information she's like until she has hard information she has to confine her activities to her sectors so basically she denied giving her access to the other dude to the report for whatever reason so then andor he's given this like ship and train specs you know so he's supposed to have a memorized gnome by the morning and then that's how it ends I was like, okay. I don't know. It just felt like there should have been a little more, but so that was fine. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting to see, but I, maybe we just have to wait and see, like, you know, what, what's the big picture? Like, where where is this going? Uh, I don't know. Okay. And now I just want to talk briefly about the David Bowie documentary, Moonage Daydream. Oh my gosh, this, this was amazing. So this is, uh, I, I guess, you know, it's a documentary. It's, it's uh, written, directed, and produced by Brett Morgan. So he uh, did the, I, I forget what else he did, but he did the Kurt Cobain, um, was it Montage from Heck? And that, I thought that was a really, really cool, really, it was, I had like resisted watching it for a while because I, I thought it'd be too hard to watch, you know, just about Kurt Cobain and his death and, you know, just his life and everything like that, even though, you know, it could be a good thing. So when I saw that this was out, that this movie was coming out at first, it was like, it, it was real that this is an IMAX is an IMAX movie. So I was like, Oh man, you know, cause I could go into the city and, and, you know, see it on, on an IMAX. I was like, that'd be really cool to see. But I was like, oh, you know, and I've said this before, you know, driving into the city, it, it, for me, even though the city's not that far, it, it takes like at least an hour, depending on traffic. And then, you know, where am I going to park or paying for parking? And it's just, it's like such a nightmare. And you know, it's just like such a pain. It's not really a nightmare, but it's, it's a pain. And then I found out I was playing at my local theater. So I went last week and not this past week and the weekend before I went on a Saturday. I normally don't go to movies on a Saturday. Well, Saturday afternoon, saw this movie and uh, so good. So, I mean, David Bowie, 
he's just such a brilliant artist and 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 that's just a you know musician he's also an actor and 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 what this this documentary does so it's it's not it's not necessarily like the story of his life or something like that so it's it's really cool the way it's just presented there's there's a lot of like footage of david bowie and, and i guess there's a lot of like unreleased footage from his personal archives which is is awesome there's like there's concert footage and there's just like uh, other just like random visuals from like other media like other movies i think there's like some like war of the worlds or whatever you know a lot of the the ziggy stardust you know the space you know whatever stuff and it's just like a lot of just you know from interviews just like audio of david bowie talking about his just different views on thing and like himself and his life and so it's just really cool to see it and then just just the music playing so i really see you know the, the movie this has been out for a couple of weeks now at least and if you have a chance to see in a theater i mean and you're a bowie fan i mean you really should see it in a theater just seeing it on a big screen and just does some music. Just as there's a, you know, if you have a good sound system at your theater, just feeling like this, the bass, just a beat, like just blowing through you, like almost like when you're. I haven't been in a concert in a while, so it's just amazing. And you know, I, I found it's like so many times, like my I'm like rocking my foot or whatever, you know. And it was just so so good to see this, and and it was just a really cool presentation. It, so it kind of goes along his life, you know, but it doesn't start off like when he was a kid growing up here. You know, it just it's it starts off and. And there's a lot of like surreal visuals and everything like that. So, you know, I'm sure some people will really enjoy that, you know, depending on what sort of substances they might be partaking in or whatever. So it's just I, I'm like itching to see this movie again. I'm I definitely need need to pick this up, you know, when it when it's released. I hope there's a four K release for it because I just think this is gonna be so cool. But just his whole philosophy and everything and it's just like really cool to to hear the different things and like the way he he thought about about stuff. There's there's like he talks a lot about like love, you know. And there's like one was like during an interview or something like that where I think he had said something, and it's almost I felt like they're almost like trying to call him out on on his his ideas or views, which didn't I didn't really like the way it was presented. But it's something how he said that like falling in love and being in love are like two different things and and he's like yeah because you know you fall in love with someone that's not the same as being in love and he was almost like it was almost like you know he's like i don't really have time to be in love with someone because you know he's focused on his career and his music and his art and because you know no he always does movies he does painting he's just he's you know all this like just stuff that he wants to create and everything but then there's a point like later on in his life as you know you know there's a point that he's like and then i met iman and then you know he, right that moment so it, like really like it kind of got me emotional just the the touching you know sappy you know this is a sappy tony time where just idea yeah, where you know he met her and he just instantly he he did fall in love with her and he knew you know he was in love with her he didn't just fall in love and he knew that he wanted to spend time with her so there there's a lot of talk just about him with like not kind of like not wanting to waste his time you know wanting to make sure he he was using his time to the best and it almost felt like it's like dude did you know that like you were gonna you know pass soon uh you know it's just it was just kind of kind of weird how he was saying that that you know he just didn't want to waste it doing nothing and it was just just a, just a different footage seeing him from different stuff and you know at one point i was like is this just like regular footage or is this from a movie it's like what's going on and and you know if you know me i'm like a huge twin peaks fan i love the fact that he was in fire walk with me and i so wish he could have been in the return in the third season they had to 
they had to do some interesting uh, developments with him, you know, because I'm just so fascinated with this this character. You know, he was an FBI agent, and he be, you know became aware of all the strangeness surrounding Twin Peaks and the Black Lot, you know, all that. So I wish we could have had more of him compared to like what happened to the character. But at least we did get more. Uh, and then, you know, there's also the man who fell to earth. You know, they, they show some footage from that too. And I feel like if you hadn't watched that movie and you're watching this doc and you, there's this one scene where he's like about to like take out like his eye, you know, fake eye covering or whatever, you might be like, what is he doing? But, you know, I really, I thought that was a brilliant movie. And the fact that they made a TV show following up, you know, yeah, he wasn't in it, but I thought that was just a great show and everything. So I just, I just thought this was a, a brilliant movie and it was just very well done. And it was just, just really great tribute to, you know, everything about him and, and just like so much music. I, I realize, and there's like, you, there's a soundtrack, you know, I haven't looked if, if you can like buy the soundtrack or whatever, because the soundtrack's like, it's like two hours long. And there's there's this, uh, you know a lot of the music from the movie and there's some like different versions like you know live versions and just different like mixes for like uh, modern love I really love that song there's something about it some it's it's a kind of a cheesy song I don't I can't say I don't think I can honestly say it's like one of his best songs it's not it's not like one of his top songs but there's just something about it I really love like I totally remember when it came out and everything. But there's something about that song. It just really like kind of gets me moving and stuff like that. And then this version on on the soundtrack is just it's just oh it's, it's so good. Uh, I listen to it on uh, I listen I use Prime Amazon Prime Music. Prime, uh, I don't use Spotify for reasons. But I just you know listening to the whole thing. And so it's just it's it's just so good. Uh, so I I just gushing about it. If if you have a chance, you definitely should see it. I looking right now at I am or Wikipedia looks like the box office only only did eight point five million, which uh, I, I hope it, it I hope that's that's well. I don't know what the budget is for this. You know, you have yeah you have there's no filming and stuff like that. But just having to compile all this footage and I don't know how you know what the, the rights you know just maybe the music is not really that much of an issue. But there's like some other footage from other stuff like i don't know if there's like woody woodpecker at one point you know whatever so i i hope this movie is very successful and like i said i definitely will be buying it and i would i'm itching to see it again but if if you just even like david Bowie, i mean it's 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 so cool to see so i highly highly absolutely 100 percent recommend this movie then another movie that unfortunately I can't 100% recommend the monsters Rob Zombie's the monsters. Oh my goodness. I, I, I don't know what to say about this. And like part of me, I was hoping I, I get a chance to watch it with my daughter, but it just, I was like, I just got to watch it, you know, instead of trying to schedule time with her since she's busy and working or whatever. So I ended up watching it. So it came out what last Tuesday and, uh, Oh man. So as I've mentioned in the past, I've been covering, kind of covering the, the monsters, uh, news in the, the news section. I've been like really fascinated with this movie and you know, it looks kind of cheesy. Even when the trailer came out, the trailer didn't look so great, but I kind of like, Oh, this, this is a good thing. You know, it's, it's not taking itself super seriously because you know, it shouldn't, you know, it, it should be campy because that's what, kind of the show was about so as i mentioned before if you whether you listen to the news section or not 
for me, the monsters, the monsters were before my time. You know, I'm, I, I know I'm getting old, but I'm not that old. So it was definitely aired before I was alive. I was before I was anything. But on the my beloved childhood channel, WFLD Chicago Channel 32, which is now the Fox Network in Chicago land, I guess. They showed a lot of syndicated shows. They showed a lot of just shows that were so cool growing up watching these. And they would show the Munsters. So, you know, I would, would watch old episodes of the Munsters. And it, they, were just, they were just fun and, and cheesy. And, and, you know, it was black and white. That didn't matter. It was just really cool seeing. And, you know, it was a funny show and, and everything. And then at one point, then I, I discovered my daughter. I forget how old she was. She might, might have been like... I don't know, eight or nine or 10 or something like that. I found out she started watching the monsters and I was like, oh man, I was like, you started watching that without me. Cause I was hoping we could watch it together, but you know, she had started watching on Netflix and everything like that. So we watched, you know, a couple episodes and stuff like that. So, you know, there's also that thing that I, the nostalgia, you know, angle of it where I remember watching it as a kid and in the summers or whatever. And then watching it with my daughter and the fact that she gravitated towards it without any, you know, I never even told her that I watched it or anything like that. So, then with this movie coming out, I was like, oh, you know, this this is really cool. You know, I, I can't wait to see this. You know, they're, yeah, they're redoing it, rebooting it. Or, you know, is it necessary? What? Who cares? Because it's it's celebrating the original and bringing it back. And so I thought this is going to be really cool. And then you watch it and it's just like, oh, because, you know, there was even a, a clip that was released, like the opening credits in black and white. And I was like, oh, they they like pretty like faithfully re- recreated it. That looks really cool. But then you watch the movie, or then you see the trailer, and it's just like, ah. So one of the things, and I may have mentioned this during like news sections, I feel like the show worked really well in black and white because the fact that, you know, if you take Herman Munster specifically, you know, he's basically a Frankenstein's monster. He is like green, but like bright green. So if you have it in color or like, in the real world, air quotes, people would be like, dude, why are you green? You know, versus in black and white, you kind of overlook this fact. He just looks like a big clunky guy with big clunky shoes. And what, what's that on your, why do you have these bolts on your neck or whatever, you know? So you, you kind of, it's it's a little more forgiving in black and white. That it's, it's not as like f- hyper-focused or whatever. But this show or this movie, it's it's like complete opposite. It's like it's not just like in color. It's like three times in color. It's it's like the colors are so intense. There's like a lot of like bright pink lights or green lights. You know, almost like neon colored lights in the lighting up the scenes. And oh my god, it is just way too much. So it's like, what what are you trying to do? What what is the point of this? Like, what are you trying to convey by having such extreme colors like this? It's just so weird. And because of the color, it makes everything seem a little less real, a little like faker, like more plastic or rubber or whatever. And I I feel like that took away a little bit of it because it just makes everything feel like they're all in costumes and on a set and everything like that. And then there's the jokes, like the humor of of the movie. They weren't that good. Man, some of the jokes were just really really fell flat oh man so it's just i don't even know like what more i i can say about it 
you know, the the movie starts off with these two guys trying to like break into a crypt and pry open a coffin. It's like empty. So they're after like this zombie dude. And he just like walks up to him, whatever. He's like talking to him. They just like hit him in the head with a hammer. As it turns out, he's like this world famous like pianist and they want his phalanges. So this dude, he's uh, gathering body parts, it turns out. So it's kind of like, is this Frankenstein's monster or Dr. Frankenstein and Igor? But it's not. But it's weird because Grandpa wakes up from his coffin. He's like in this big castle and he's talking to this guy, Igor, which I'm trying to remember. I think I reported. So Igor is played by Sylvester McCoy. Igor wasn't an original show. I think he was in like one of the like Munster's Return or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's weird that he's Igor. You know, this other guy is kind of like an Igor type character. So he he talks to Igor because uh or like his back is out so he's like oh I need you to snap my back. you know he's he's old vampire so it's it's supposed to be funny or something like that. Lily's out, out on this date and Grandpa's like really excited because this is this guy's got a lot of money and stuff like that. He's basically like like Nos, Nosferatu, and, but his name is Mister Orlock. And they go out to, to dinner. It must be like Egyptian theme or something like that. Like the mummies are, are waiters. So, and again, everything is just kind of cheesy. It's like he, he gets his food. He just starts like eating right away or something like that. And she's just like kind of looking at whatever. And then he he talks about, oh, do you like rats? And he's got all these pictures of He's showing her pictures of his rats and everything. And and then they're, they, they're like walking through to like they're in Transylvania, by the way. And they get like to his place or something like that. And he's got this big sign. If the coffin is a rockin', don't come a knockin'. Or I don't remember if it's coffin or sarcophagus or whatever. And then she's like, yeah, I'm going to go like that. So again, that's supposed to be funnier or something like that. So the dudes from the beginning, uh, the, the, the doctor's name is Dr. Wolfgang. And um, the Igor character is Floop. And then I didn't realize in the beginning, Floop is played by Jorge Garcia, uh, Hurley from Lost. I was like, what? Hurley, I haven't seen you in forever since I have friend German. No, I guess he was in How I Met Your Mother because he did that Alcatraz show. Uh, I, I love Jorge Garcia. He's he's a, he's the nicest guy. If, you, if you've been listening to Comic Vine podcasts or videos or whatever, you know, back in the day, I did this like super long interview with him. It's, it's a really weird way it came about. But so this guy's making like a, a monster or whatever. So he. He has everything got you know he wants to call him he wants to come up with a name he's like well, how about like the god uranus or something and he's like yeah that's not gonna be good so then wolfgang's like what would you name him he's like what about herman and he's like herman and he's like just herman and he's like herman like munster he's like monster he's like no munster like the cheese yeah that was it oh he was and he was supposed to get the brain of this like someone i forgot who it was like some really smart genius guy so floop goes there and he even wrote the name on his hand or something like that he ends up getting uh so okay so i'm getting a little ahead of myself it's time to bring herman alive it doesn't look like it's it's working and then he's stumbling around or whatever so dr wolfgang goes on the good morning transylvania show to show off his creation um, Lily's kind of sad because she's alone. And so it's almost like her whole life is just about being with someone, I guess. I don't know. That defines her. Her brother is a werewolf who's like always in debt, trying to pull some schemes and stuff like that. And uh, so when Herman comes out on, on uh, the Good Morning Transylvania show, Lily like falls in love with him right away. And then this is when we find out that floop got the wrong brain there was this like really bad stand-up comic who died so that's where herman got his brain from so herman is always telling like really bad corny jokes i like corny jokes i love corny jokes 
and some of them are kind of but some of them are just like so old like that have been said and done a million times that it's just like not really funny and then you got the whole herman laugh the ho, 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 and it's just like it's like dude it's like are you all right uh, I don't know. Then, like, and Herman, the first time he sees her, he falls in love. And it just kind of goes from there. Then it's, like, them falling in love. And at one point, they sing, I got you, babe, like, karaoke. It's just like, oh, my gosh. I, and, and, like, I was, like, 15, 20 minutes in. I'm like, oh, man, it's like, should I watch this? Or I actually watched it Wednesday. And I was like, well, man, I should just watch Stargirl. But it's like, oh, wait, Stargirl wasn't on this week. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I guess I'll watch this. I really wanted to like it. It's just, I don't, I don't know. And, and maybe, so it might, maybe I'm being a little hard on it because I have that nostalgia factor, or whatever, but you know, that, that kind of connection, but I just feel like it's, I don't know. It's like, are they trying to be like so bad? It's good type of thing, but it's just, uh, I don't know. And, uh, Elvira was in it. Uh, Cassandra, you know, she had a little role, but, I was just, it, it kind of makes me sad. And, and I, I don't want to talk badly about it, but I didn't love it. And again, I, maybe I'm being too hard on it. You tell me if you watched it, if you care at all about the original Munsters. And man, it's, it's just too bad. And now the main feature of the week is Smile. So this is a new movie. This is uh, directed, written and directed by... Parker Finn. So apparently, this is which is impressive. I, I, I let me uh, just want to say that. So this is his feature directorial debut. I guess um, it's this is based off of a short film he did called Laura Hasn't Slept, which now I'm I want to see. I wonder if, wh- how I can see that. And um, it's 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 so it's it's a well made made movie. You know, I, I do want to say that um, if if I were to give it a rating, I haven't. I'd have to think about what I what I would rate it. Um, right now, it's at a seventy four percent on Rotten Tomato, seventy eight percent audience score. That's way better than I thought when I saw the trailer. When I saw the trailer, I was like, "Oh, this looks like it could be interesting." And there are a lot of comparisons being made to other horror movies. I like the what first comes to mind is is The Ring. There's very, very similar to that, you know, with the ring, you watch this videotape and then in a week you're going to die. So there's a similarity with, with that. And, uh, the, so the, aside from that, that like seems kind of familiar, the acting is, is done really well in in here. And, uh, the gory scenes are gory. There are some, you know, kind of disturbing, not, not like uber disturbing, there's a lot of jump scares, and uh, some people like that. I, I think it's it's good to have the jump scares. Sometimes I feel like maybe there's like too much, so I always think you know you want to be be cautious with with that. And uh, the music, there's some good music. The music during the credits was kind of creepy. There's like some weird stuff going on there. And so, what is this movie about? Now, this is where I want to try to describe it without spoiling too much. It, it starts off... Well, so there we have... Oh, the other thing... <laughs> this is when I start getting too excited. I, I, I lose... I, I start like, misfiring all over the place. 
the I guess the movie originally was gonna be called Something's Wrong with Rose because the main character her name is 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 Rose Rose Cotter. So we see in the beginning what had happened is her mother committed suicide when she was young and she she's the one that finds the body which is horrific to think about you know a little I, I don't know if she was eight years old I forget how old she was but she is like a emergency room like psychiatrist like in this, this psych ward or this hospital so she's and she's working super long hours and so the the big kicker is you know, I forget how many if she's working like 30 hours 38 hours or, or you know in a row she's about to leave leave for go home she walks out of her office and her phone rings and she's like ringing and ringing and then she goes back in and answers it and there's like another patient that was brought in so like oh man if you didn't answer the phone this movie would be over right then so this uh patient this woman is brought in uh she's a like phd student you know so respected credentials you know she's not like uh like a, a quote-unquote crazy homeless person or anything like that and i no offense to any homeless people listening uh so she i shouldn't have said that that was horrible tony you're such a jerk uh i should edit that out i don't know if i'll remember to do that <laughs> so she's brought in she's very wound up and it's what this is part of like the acting part because like when rose walks in she's you know she's in this room you know there's like uh like almost like a little kitchenette there's like two chairs there's a table in there there's like little flowers on there you know it's, it's very other than that you know, there's not a whole a lot other stuff in there she walks in this room and it's like wait i thought someone was brought in here there's like no one around and then like when the door closes like way in the corner this woman's like kind of sitting there and when Rose kind of looks at her, she's like, like flinching, like, like she's so on edge. And it's, it's almost like that, that what's it? Flight or flight or I don't, can't remember what it is. She's like ready, like trying to figure out like, okay, where am I going to run? Can I go this way? I, I can't go anywhere. I can't get away. So she's just so on edge. She had seen her professor kill himself. I think he killed himself with a, a hammer or something like that. And she says that like, since then, she's been seeing something this entity has been like pretending to be other people like people that she knows or people that like died like years ago you know like that and there's you know she's the only one who can see it no one and so rose the psychiatrist she's like well you know so what you saw was a traumatic event you know sometimes our mind does it. and she's like no it's not my mind you're not listening you know this is real and she's getting like really worked up and everything like that and then this was spoiler like a jump scare then she like freaks out and she's like kicks back her chair like knocks the the vase over she's on her back and she's like screaming and, and rose is like look she's like what the heck she's looking behind her there's like nothing going and you expect this something standing there. there's like nothing there and she's just like kicking like going you know further back is like what what is happening and then so rose is like i need someone to restrain her this is so she goes to the phone and one thing i didn't like she was she's talking on a phone she's got her back to the room yes this patient was like way on the other on her back kicking away like freaking out like trying to get it as far away from whatever as possible she's you know she's like i need someone to come in you know whatever like that she puts the phone down and it's like quiet she turns around this this lady's just like standing there and she's got this smile on her face and it's like free it's just a smile but it looks so freaky and then you see in her hand she's got a broken piece of of, of glass or the vase so it's like oh crap is she gonna attack or whatever she's just like sitting there smiling looking at her and then she holds up to her face 
at first it's like, wait, is she gonna like cut her, give herself a bigger smile? But she basically like slits her throat, and like in like the shape of a smile almost. She falls to the floor, pool of bl- blood's just pooling out or whatever. She still has that crazy, crazy ass smile on her face, and it's just like, oh, and then like orderlies come in, like a little too late there. So she sees this and she's just like, holy crap! Just her, this, she the patient just killed herself in front of her. So then the doctor is like, you know, you need to go home. You know, you, you've been working, you know, way too long. You know, you you, you shouldn't do that. Oh, and and the uh, the doctor is is Calpen, um, uh, Calpen Suresh, uh, Modi, uh, Calpen. I guess is what he is that is his name, stage name. And so she goes home. And what I love, she opens the door and her cat's like walking up to like greeting her. <laughs> this is like so cute. Basically, the premise is what's what's going to happen is she starts seeing things. So this is this is like the ring angle. Basically, what happened is she saw this murder happen, and now it's like it's connected to her. So now whatever this entity thing is, it's coming after her, and she's like seeing all this weird things. You know, she's supposed to be this professional, but now she's she's starting to sound crazy. You're starting to sound unhinged, and people are like you're working too hard you need to relax you need to, you know whatever take take you're taking a paid week off of work and and just like other stuff starts happening and one of the things i i, I wasn't super crazy about but like you know because she has a fiance um jesse jesse t usher um, i'm trying to think where i saw him before like what what he he did um oh he's a train that's who that's who he is um he was he was kind of a jerk. He's not a very supportive boyfriend or fiance, but that's that's a whole other thing. So she's just like starting to see, you know, and then there's like stuff with her sister. Her sister's like a piece of piece of work. You know, she, her sister's married, has a kid, and they go out to dinner and she's just going on about like, oh my gosh, and I gotta do this, I gotta pick him up, I gotta take him to so- soccer practice, and I gotta do this. It's so much work, and you know, she's just going on and, and you know, Rose and, and her her fiance are just like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then she's like, oh, and you're coming on Saturday, right? And and Rose is just like so distracted from seeing what her her patient just did. And um, she's like, wait, wait, what? You know, she snaps out of it. She's like, what are you, are you serious? It's it's his birthday. You got to be there. She's like, I have to work. And she's like, you, who works on on the weekends? Why don't you get like a real? Job? And then you know, her the husband's like, yeah, you know, you should get a job where you're getting paid. You know, making that doctor money and. So you know, there's this time. Oh, because uh, the sister also wants to sell the child in a home that they they still own the property. It's like way out somewhere. She's like, we should just like like raise bulldoze the house or whatever and just sell the property. And but for some reason, Rose doesn't want to let go of it. And so things just continue to escalate, and uh, then you f- start to to find out about the connection. You know, with with this. So what it is is. Someone kills, you know, who this whoever's infected or cursed or whatever, they kill themselves in front of someone, and it passes it on to that person. Then that person kills themselves in front of someone else, pass it on to them. Because you know, there's there's kind of like a chain because like the the Rose finds out that the professor that her patient, you know, professor that killed himself. He was a witness on another like suicide. He saw someone else kill themselves. So you know her roses. I'm, I'm just, I see now. I feel like I'm, I'm spoiling too much. Her ex 
boyfriend is a police officer like a detective so you know he's able to access police records or whatever like that so it just kind of goes from there and um there's this there's the one issue i have you see it in a trailer where she goes to visit someone in like in jail in prison and uh he seems to have some sort of loophole way to, to deal with things but it's like how the heck did you find it? Did I did I doze off during the movie? It's like how did he figure this out? And you know, it's it's not the best solution, but it is a solution. So you know, there's there's that part. Um, so the the movie, it's it, you know, it's it is a little disturbing just how like crazy you know, not crazy how it's like unhinged and unbalanced she's getting, and she's just so there's there's a lot of uh kind of like false teases going on where she, you know he thinks something's happening and then it's like she's just kind of dreaming it or you know in a daydream or something like that and then there's other times where things are happening you're like okay she's gonna snap out of this right this isn't really happening like wait holy crap that really happened so there's a lot of that where it just kind of keeps you guessing which is adds to the movie that you know it, it doesn't just feel like so predictable like what you would think because then you're not sure what to think because then like once like like at one point something happens like okay all right problem solved and then he's like nope that's that's not over yet there's still more so it's just it, it's just like kind of kind of i don't want to say nuts if i'm talking about psychiatrists and patients and but things are just like so wonky and it's so it's it's definitely an interesting movie and and like I said, the the music, the noise during the credits is just kind of kind of disturbing and all that. So it was a good movie. I I can't say that I absolutely loved it. So like the fact that it's like at a seventy eight percent or whatever that that sounds about right. You know, it it's it's well done. And if this is his directorial debut, I mean, like I said, the acting and and just just the whole presentation of the movie you know the cinematography or whatever the lighting and colors and all that stuff you know it's just it looks so slick and and um and, and no, i shouldn't say slick it doesn't look slick it looks looks good because it's it's kind of like a like a grayish filter over things so you know it's not like super clear like you're watching something and you know 4k or and it's just like you're making your eyes burn because it looks so crisp and clear it's just it's just like just a really good package if i if that's making any sense at all uh it's it's an interesting movie uh it is freaky and uh i i don't even want to mention like i don't even want to hint anything about the ending am i satisfied with the ending i i guess i would have to say yeah i i kind of can appreciate the ending i don't know if i necessarily would love the ending because i i still feel like maybe a one other little aspect could have been added to the ending or to the, like the ending final uh, client or final act that's what i'm trying to say so it's it's good uh yeah but there's there's some things i was like eh, okay that's that's all right but the, the the whole prison dude that that kind of bothers me and like like i said maybe i, I missed something but other than that, it's it's a good movie. So if you like the horror movies, and as I keep saying, you know, you might be like, man, life sucks. I gotta do this. I gotta pay my bills. I gotta go to work. At least you're not cursed with this. Someone killing themselves in front of you, and then you start seeing things and tempted to kill yourself or whatever. I hope. I hope. Please don't don't do that.
because so, so that's the, I that's like my excuse because when I talk to coworkers they're like oh how you're gonna see this you know I tell them, yeah I'm gonna see this movie how can you see those type of movies I was like because then you know it shows that your life isn't as bad as you might think you know there things could be worse I don't know um and things could be longer but they're not because this podcast has been long enough so that is gonna be it for this week. Big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And uh, last week I did um, an off my mind about comic book continuity. Should we have it? Should we not have it? Should it be stricter? Should it be less strict? You can hear all, all the thoughts angles about that um this week i'm going like old school uh batman so you'll definitely want it like old school like way before i was born like 1960 i think it was or will be <laughs> so you definitely want to hear that but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman for heck and you can buy me <laughs> G-Man from Heck. I kind of slurred that a little bit. I haven't been drinking. I, I got a Coke. Remnants of a Coke here. Uh, Coffee.com slash G-Man from Heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee. Or seven. <laughs> that is ko-fi.com slash G-Man from Heck. All right. What is happening next week? Um, I haven't fully decided. So, I mean, well, I know there's this movie, The Good House, that's Oh, that's already out? Yeah, I wasn't going to see that anyways. Um, Kevin Klein and I think Sigourney Weaver or someone. There is Amsterdam coming out. And there's a, a, a lot of people in this, this movie. Uh, see, who who's directing it? David O. Russell is directing it. It has, I feel like, I, I mean, I definitely want to see it. Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Chris Rock, Anya Taylor-Joy, Zoe Saldana, Mike Myers, Michael Shannon, Shannon, Timothy Oliphant, Andrea Riseborough, Taylor Swift, um, Matthias Skowengert, um, Alessandro Nivola, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro. It's like, um, holy crap. <laughs> Did they get like every single person in Hollywood to be in this movie? Um, what is it even about? In the 1930s, oh, isn't, did I say Chris Rock? Yeah, Chris Rock. Because I heard, <laughs> there's, I saw this article like Chris, Chris or Christian Bale can't stand next to Chris Rock or something like that. So it it kind of sounded like he had like some issues, some beef with with Chris Rock, but it was no because Christian Bale he apparently like usually gets like uber into character like when he's on set that's who he is you know he's like one of those method method actors I don't know what do you call it. But whenever Chris Rock is there, he's like always laughing and breaking carry. So, he, yeah. Anyways, in 1933, friends, a doctor, a nurse, and attorney witness a murder, become suspects themselves, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in North American history. I, I'm curious to see it. I, I my, my little hesitation is, you know, is this like podcast worthy? You know, that that's always uh, the, the big question. And with with uh, Hellraiser coming out, you know that could be the the feature. And I'm you know just trying to look at like my sanity and my time. Uh, I don't know, so I have to have to decide. I, I I don't know 
if there's interest in, in me covering that, maybe. So we'll see. Other than that, all the other shows, except for Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry. Uh, I hope you weren't like hoping to hear about it. I, I yeah, I haven't heard anyone saying, hey, can you please keep talking about it? So there's that. But like yeah, everything else, um, including Cobra Kai, <laughs> this, for real, this is going to be the last time I'll talk about Cobra Kai Season 5. So everything else. Thank you for listening. Thank you for putting up with me. Thank you for, for being here. I hope you are doing well. I hope things are going better. I hope I really hope you are not cursed with with this whatever thing. You, you can smile. Just do a normal smile. Don't know none of this just killer crazy smile. So uh, I hope you taking care of yourself, and I hope you remember to be good to each other.